2: What you see is what you get.
3: (laughs) He likes playing eardrums to the song. It is Tuesday, November 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague and Ben's new co-host on First Tuesday, Maya Duke-Masova, returns. We welcome photographer Michelle Kinnar. Oh, maybe Ben can get a picture taken. And finally, president and CEO of Personal Pack, Terry Cosgrove. And now your host, the snapping man himself, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jorofsky.
2: Hello, everybody. Ben Jorofsky here. We're calling this What You See Is What You Get Tuesday. Told you, D. And here's why. Good weekend. You have a good weekend, D? You know, it's Tuesday, right? Oh, I forgot it's Tuesday. I saw Dolomite is my name. The only podcast that talks about the weekend
3: (laughs) on Tuesdays. Uh,
2: Well, you know, yeah, it was kind of a long weekend. Anyway, so Dolomite uh, uh, is my name. Uh, I saw it uh, Saturday with my dear friend Cap. Went to Cap's house and saw it and his lovely wife, Deb. What What up, Cap? What up, Cap? What up, Deb? A great movie. Had a great time hanging with Cap and Deb. And my wife was there as well. And then I watched it again on Sunday. I liked it so much, Dee. I watched it twice. Eddie murphy stars and i love that movie i've seen it twice but having said this let me having said that let me say this it should not be nominated for an oscar oh no negatory uh-uh. i'm very strict on this point uh movies that are nominated for oscars that designation be should be reserved for films that actually Played on movie theater screens, folks. There's a difference between a movie and a movie theater screen and a movie that streams on your TV. And uh, Dolomite, as much as I enjoyed it, is definitely the latter. Sort of like a made-for-TV movie, like bryant song my older listeners uh, will know what bryant song is i know my millennials are like huh what well, never heard of it well whatever it doesn't matter but anyway uh uh this is uh this is one of my special obsessions and passions we'll be talking about this at great length throughout the week i'm sure with various guests uh whether well, irishman is in the same category marty Scorsese. <laughs> New movie, which uh, it's like one. It's going to open this weekend. It's only on one screen in the city of Chicago, the Smart People Movie Theater over Clark uh, and uh, Diversity. They call it the Smart People Movie Theater D because you have to be smart to get in. You've Got to take a test, all right? Only for <laughs> smart people. You've Got to bring your GPA. Uh, here's my uh, ACT score. Uh, let me look at this. I got in, but only because somebody else took the test for me. All right, I don't tell him I did it. Anyway, it's only one. St- How is that fair? Come on, man. You should. The Irishman should be out for like two months at least at every screen, and then Netflix should get it, all right? Anyway, don't get me started on this thing. Um, Woke up today and saw in my beloved Bright One. This story really uh, tickled my fancy uh, in some ways. It's a very serious story. Mitch Dudek wrote about it. New video shows principal allegedly lie about forcing a student out into the cold. Here we go. I'll read you the lead. Great job by Mitch Dudick, Chicago Sun-Times reporter. A newly released video shows a CPS principal offering an allegedly fabricated story in order to explain why one of his students spent more than 30 minutes outside the school in frigid weather. So the principal had said one thing originally, and then the video showed another thing, and it undercut the official version of the story. All right. I urge everybody to check it out. Very interesting story. It just goes to show you that you can't, it's like what the truth is, cannot always be determined by the official statement, and sometimes there's evidence that undercuts the official statement. The ironic part of this story, the twist, the dramatic twisty, is this. Uh, according to the article the lawyer uh, for the family of this child who's uh, released the video showing that the principal uh, didn't may may not have told the truth as to what went down is a gentleman named dan herbert and who is dan herbert you asked d well i'll tell you great question dan herbert is an attorney who represented jason van dyke and if you recall jason van dyke was the police officer uh who was uh convicted of shooting laquan mcdonald now in that case the police official version went after the shooting took place was that Laquan McDonald was charging uh, Jason Van Dyke with a knife and Van Dyke had to shoot him to protect himself when the video was finally released uh, despite the attempts by Mayor Rahm to uh, keep it from being released. When a Cook, Court, Cook County Circuit Court judge ordered the mayor to release the video, we discovered, lo and behold, that the video did not show Laquan McDonald a lunging at Jason Van Dyke, that in fact he wasn't moving at him at all, and so the video sort of contradicted the official story. Now, Dan Herbert, the attorney for J- Jason Van Dyke, was arguing in that case uh, that what I call the Richard Pryor uh, defense strategy that's named for the great comedian Richard Pryor who once said uh, when his wife caught him bed with another woman who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes uh, and now apparently uh, Dan Herbert that uh, his client's uh, story is uh, validated by a video is arguing the dramatics and the uh, the dramatics theory of defense and that is D what you see is what you get in other words videos don't lie now listen i am not hating on dan herbert he's a lawyer a trial lawyer and as we all know a trial lawyer's first responsibility is to look out for the best interest of his or her client so if he has to argue the richard prior argument in one case and then completely argue a different one in the uh, dramatics argument in the next case so be it it's all about being a good lawyer. We got a great show today, everybody. Absolutely, Maya will be here. We'll be talking about tonight's show at the Hideout. We'll be talking about the end of the school strike, and eh, you know, she may she wrote a, a, a profile of Dan Herbert uh, for the Reader. An excellent profile of Dan Herbert. Probably talk about that story as well. Uh, and then Michelle Canar will be here, photographer. She's got a show called uh, I, Asylum City. It's there's an article in the Reader. We'll be talking about Asylum City. Uh, Michelle Canard, among other things, uh, took my picture, D. And she promises to bring a camera in here and take pictures again. Oh, that's why you wore that
3: fancy bulls hat today.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not wearing my red hat because the strike is over. We'll Uh talk about that later as well. And then I'm really looking forward to this at 2.30 T.C. Get your big boy pants on. Terry Cosgrove will be here, a personal pack, talking all the political issues of the day and uh, the fight uh, to preserve the rights of women uh, to choose. uh, Reproductive rights for women. So Terry Cosgrove will be here at 2.30.
3: And when Terry Cosgrove is on, uh, take a shot for every time uh, Terry Cosgrove bosses been around. (laughs) It's great. Uh, Terry
2: Cosgrove. Uh, MyoDukmasava. The list goes on and on of people. But Doctor D, up and uh, do this, fix uh, your hat. Yeah, you know, see what I'm saying. Anyway, we have a great show today. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, yes, the man they call the Doctor with the news.
3: How's it going, everybody? <laughs> I'm Dennis. Before we unpack uh, the news happening <laughs> in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, let's go to you, the YouTube live stream chat room here. Uh, let's see here. Stephen Wade in here. He says, ah, Ben, the Academy Awards are uh, for outstanding contributions to cinema, not cinemas. Ben, you're really being a stick in the mud <laughs> boomer on this one. Sorry, it's me. And
2: by the way, uh, I'll just point out that Marty Scorsese, I'll urge everybody to read Marty Scorsese's essay on this very topic. In today's New York Times, we'll take the deep dive. I'm just saying, man. It's all part of the theatrical experience. And yes, indeed, I stand accused. You're absolutely right. I am a boomer. All right? Now, the rest of you guys know you love watching your little movies on your cell phones and stuff. But I'm sorry. You want the Oscar? It's got to have a theatrical release.
3: Our dear friend Pat Rod weighed in on the YouTube live stream chat. Pat Rod, what up? Up top. All right. uh, Let's see here. Oh, oh, Stephen, by the way, says Marty is older than you are. That's true, Steven. Pat Rod says, yeah. what up, guys? <laughs> Popeye's true. chicken sandwich is back.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, we, we need an update, man.
3: Miles, where are you, Miles? Start working on that, all right? We appreciate everybody joining <laughs> us live this afternoon. All right. Let's Wait,
2: didn't Miles give us an update last week on that?
3: No, he did not. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe. Yes, I don't know. he did, yeah. Oh, good God. <laughs> Gonna be a long one today. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the local news here. No Tuesday public event scheduled for our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, but we do have some statewide news to discuss. News like the latest endorsement for Illinois Democratic third congressional candidate Marie the Real Democrat Newman. <laughs> Back in 2018, the first congressional go-around between Newman and the incumbent Dan the not so much Democrat Lipinski was one of Illinois' most watched. Elections, maybe even one of the nation's most watched elections. Newman nearly lost, but she's back for the rematch, beginning in the summer. Marie Newman has seen a handful of endorsements come her way, endorsements from the most popular Democratic names out there: 2020 presidential candidates Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand. Well, she's not a candidate now, but she did endorse, and also Jay Inslee. Even. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsed Marie Newman. Well, heads up, everyone, you may be a little underwhelmed. This name not as popular, but locally could really help against her race against Dino Dan Lipinski. Marie Newman has been endorsed by Illinois U.S. Representative Jan Schakowsky. In a statement, Schakowsky said, quote, With Marie in Congress, we will grow our ability to secure big wins for working families to protect women's rights and fight climate change. I am proud to stand with Marie. Her election helps Democrats build a party that is willing to take bold steps to bring affordable health care, including prescription drugs, protect and expand Social Security and Medicare, and raise the wages of working Americans, Ben Jaroski, your thoughts on Schakowsky's endorsement here of Marie Newman. Well, I believe, and don't quote me on this, that Jan
2: Schakowsky endorsed her in the last uh, go-around against Danny Lipinski. By the way, that's
3: the name of Ben's next podcast. Don't quote me on this. <laughs>
2: until, you know, don't quote
3: me until you've
2: verified it for yourself. I think it's a good way to go through life. But I'm pretty sure she did. I'm also pretty sure that uh, Luis Gutierrez endorsed her back in 2018. Did he not, young Dan, uh, Dennis? I believe so. And uh, so, yeah, Dan Lipinski, who is the incumbent is on the far 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 right side of the democratic party so far right i'm not even i think he falls off the party uh, so it's understandable by it, that liberals and lefties, et cetera, and so forth, would uh, endorse Maureen Newman. Now, with, this gets interesting. I'm going to go into the weeds. I know some of my uh, uh, listeners who are really into the ins and outs of democratic politics will go for this. Uh, but there's rules established by the DCCC. Uh, what is that one called? The Democratic... Oh, God, I, my uh, dyslexia is fl- firing, flaming here. Uh, I'm going to reverse all the words, but it's the Congressional Committee that oversees democratic elections uh, and uh, one of our listeners will weigh in with the exact name of the DCCC. anyway they have rules limiting consultants restricting consultants punishing consultants political consultants strategists posters etc from working against incumbents this is one of nancy pelosi's things and so this is causing some stress and strain in this one d because how can you punish a consultant for working for uh marie newman if Congress people like Jan Schakowsky or Luis Guterres or AOC, etc., and so forth, have endorsed Marie Newman. So Democratic Party's got to figure this stuff out. This is still a remnant of the fight between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. The Dems are just always at war with themselves. Now, a similar thing is going on in the Republican Party, uh, where Donald Trump has just waged war on everybody in the Republican, has taken control, seized control of the Republican Party, driven out anybody who dares to disagree with him. So that you got the closest you have to somebody disagreeing with Donald Trump and the Dem- and the Republican party is Mitt Romney who whispers it. I- concerned. Uh, but everybody else is hiding under a table. So I guess it's a similar fight in the Republican Party, but there uh, Donald Trump uh, has prevailed. in the Democratic Party, the C said, that, no, 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 uh, consultants, you can't work for Marie Newman, and then you got Jan Schakowsky coming out and endorsing.
3: So, you know, a little inconsistency there, Democrats. Just saying. A little inconsistency there, says Bendroski. All right, uh, Frank has weighed in. Uh, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. That's correct. Thank you, Frank. I knew he would know. <laughs>
2: Now, you know what? Because I got so much dyslexia, Frank. I'm going to reverse that. Democratic Congressional Campaign Commandment. Write that down. Congressional. And we campaign. got nothing going
3: on. Go ahead and take your time. Here we go. Thank <laughs> you, Frank. I hope you're there tonight, Frank, at the, the Hideout. We're going to be talking about that yeah. more in a minute. This yeah. year, the third congressional district election is a four-candidate battle. Rush Darwish, who runs a video and film production business, and Abe Matthew, an attorney, also running against Lipinski. Now for the corruption portion of our show. (laughs) Talk about this a lot lately. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's Chicago, Illinois. My beloved Democratic Party in Illinois. Um, (coughs) Nutty, nutty, nutty. We have an update on what has quickly become one of my favorite things to talk about on Corruption Corner. City Clubgate. Oh, City Clubgate. Yeah. Ben Jarofsky, before we get into this, if you could, please give those who may not know uh, a quick recap of City Clubgate. Hold on. Oh, he's grabbing the... Oh, this is uh, excellent.
2: podcast. Okay. Uh, City Club, of course, is the club downtown Chicago where they have meeting, I don't know, once a week or every other week. Who knows? And they bring distinguished guests and uh, from the, the world of politics. And they all discuss the issues of the day. And so they're above corruption. Oh, this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It turns out that the guy who runs City Club, or the president of City Club, it was, uh, you know, was, uh, was what? Uh, somehow or other involved in the investigation into the Democrats, Michael Madigan, Commonwealth Edison, who knows. Jay Doherty, of course, was the uh, uh, the lobbyist for Commonwealth Edison, and he's the president of the city club. And I think it was in May. Uh-oh. It was the feds coming knocking, taking all sorts of who knows what from the city club. Anyway, I was a guest at the city club. Here's my little... City Club. Which camera is it, by the way? That one? Okay. City Club card. And I got this beautiful beautiful little what is this thing d a placard certificate, certificate. <laughs> and read it what does it say it says ben Jarovsky, please don't ever come to a city club meeting again we were so desperate we invited you in the first place good god you're two-way
3: left for us anyway that's i think at the bottom it says uh, i wish that bald guy never talked you into going
2: <laughs> but i had it signed by danny Mahopolis, the the intrepid wbez uh investigative reporter came on our show when was he? About two weeks ago, D? Was yeah, it yeah. Saturday? go
3: download that interview with Dan Mealopoulos about WBEZ. Speaking of WBEZ, the following comes from WBEZ Dave McKinney, Dan Mealopoulos, and one Tony Arnold. Man, they threw a third person in there? They threw got a three third three guy people in there. <laughs> hey, boys, come on, let's get our
2: hands dirty here. <laughs> oh, man. City Club Gate is such a big story, it, it needed three
3: reporters. <laughs> Not one, not two, three. I may go help out. I don't know. Veteran lobbyist at City Club of Chicago, President Jay Doherty has stopped working for embattled longtime client Commonwealth Edison, a.k.a. ComEd, according to a, (laughs) for those who may not know, according to a disclosure document, he filed Monday with Illinois officials. Agents were seeking information about Doherty, ComEd, and powerful state house speaker and Democratic boss Michael Madigan, a source involved in the investigation. investigation told WBEZ that Doherty allegedly served as a quote pass through for the utilities clandestine deals clandestine clandestine deals with politically connected individuals and companies who are suspected of doing little or no work Doherty has lobbied for ComEd in Springfield since 2010 according to state lobbyist registration records Mm,
2: yeah well all right, he had to step down that's interesting is he going to step down from the city club I do not know but uh, listen there's so much corruption in the city of Chicago there's so much corruption in the state of Illinois it's like it's ongoing parade of different characters uh this current corruption scandal which just seems to be all-encompassing and involving different areas of the city and into the southwest suburbs and different characters that i most people have never heard of the i mean like damahopoulos who who studies chicago politics and dave mckinney who also studies chicago and illinois politics they know it very well they know all these characters but half the job of an investigative reporter in writing about these scandals is to explain who these guys like marty sandoval until that's Story broke, do you never heard of Marty Sandoval? Now you know him inside out because you've said his name so many times. State Senator Marty Sandoval is involved in this, that corruption scandal. So uh, it's just so, listen, the richness of of the irony of the city club somehow or other being connected even if it's not directly connected and nobody else from the city club is in any way remotely connected to an ongoing investigation is so priceless because once again folks this is that pristine good government arena that folks come to to discuss you know the issues of the day as so though it doesn't really affect them in any way other than it's just something in the abstract way that they're entertained by it or they're you know just fascinated by it and uh, so anyway ah my city you know d i chose to live here i chose to live in the city of chicago and I chose to be a Democrat, and so many
3: so many members of the party that I have voted for year after year just are so corrupt. So we're going to be keeping you posted on this, City Club Gate, mm-hmm. as more details become available. And hey, who knows, as details become available, uh, we may be throwing that uh, City Club certificate in the garbage.
2: Never, okay? I value this. <laughs> and once again, for folks who don't know the real story, the City Club had asked me to come. I said, no, I really don't want to come. Yeah, I got to get ready for this show, okay? And their meeting was before this. Show show and if you want to know who calls the shots of the ben Jarofsky show a certain doctor from alton said son you're going to, now get over there and don't i had to take a cab remember from the city club here i'm running <laughs> and but i did get this beautiful certificate wait one more time ben Jarofsky, please don't ever come to the city club again oh man that's so mean <laughs> no actually let me read you what it really says okay D? yeah what's it say the City Club of Chicago presents Ben Jarofsky with an honorary one year membership on his Public Policy Forum series remarks, which have contributed to making the City Club of Chicago the premier public affairs forum in the state of Illinois. And that was really nice. Okay. It was really I'm
3: nice. a member of the City Club. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Moving on here. On moving to the on mayor. Up. Ooh, the mayor, okay. Chicago mayor, yeah, the mayor. Chicago mayor Lori Lightfoot's Tuesday schedule included an early visit to the University Club of Chicago to deliver remarks at 1 million degrees annual corporate breakfast. Other than that, who knows? I have no other public events listed for the mayor, but we can promise you one thing, one thing that she won't be doing today or any time in the near future, <laughs> hanging out with the Chicago Teachers Union. This
0: little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. She's had
3: more than a full serving. Of- <laughs> She's had in enough the of the month. Teachers Union. Yes, the Chicago teacher strike is over. Kids are back in school and all is back to normal. Ben? How you feeling now that the strike's over?
2: I'm glad the strike is over. I
3: didn't want them to go on strike in the first place, D. You know that. But
2: uh, teachers, I think uh, deserve a lot of credit. I'll talk about that a little while later. Oh. So I'm glad the strike is over and the young students of Chicago are back to their scholarly pursuits. And
3: they're learning reading, writing, and all that stuff. Arithmetic. Okay? Glad the strike's over. Glad mm-hmm. all is back. Well, if you were to believe our fellow Chicago media outlets in the last few days, by the way, I don't think we do. The battle between the Chicago Teachers Union and the mayor is far from over. (laughs) In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, after the teacher strike, the Tribune laid it out and asked Mayor Lightfoot if she believes that the CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, will oppose her in 2023. Lightfoot's response, quote, I'm assuming that they're coming for me in twenty twenty three. Okay, Lori, why'd you have to say that? Can we leave well enough alone? Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the
2: deal. They the Chicago Teachers Union uh, endorsed Tony goal. Uh, in the last election and they they went hard for Tony Preckwinkelty and that was my big criticism of the Chicago Teachers Union i felt they overplayed their hand i've said it many times uh, tony, tony Preckwinkle was not nearly the progressive they made her out to be and lori lightfoot was not nearly the villain they made her out to be so they overplayed their hand i believe that i've said it many times i just wrote it for the reader it's it's in this coming article in the reader that said lori lightfoot has a lot of thin has thin skin she won the election she mopped the floor with tony prick what was it 74 75 percent of the vote something like that it was a landslide and so I think that the person who is the, uh, the landslide winner should be a little magnanimous and should reach out to all the, all the people in the city of Chicago, even those who didn't support her, and say, how can we work together? And I see no evidence that Lori Lightfoot did that in any systematic thorough way with the Chicago Teachers Union. I get the sense that she cannot stand the people who run the Chicago Teachers Union, in particular, Stacey davis Gage. Uh, and uh, uh, so as a result, what? There was no discussion, there was no uh, meetings, there was no sharing of ideas and how they might uh, come to a meeting of the minds and all the issues uh, in, a, in a teacher's contract. Instead, they went right to negotiation. The lawyers were at it, the negotiating committees were at it, and we ended up with a very bitter strike. Uh, now, the, what, we're already getting ready for the, uh, the next election four years from now? It's absurd, D. Come on!
3: So let la- get together, people. <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot, once again, uh, on the Chicago Tribune interview, said that uh, I'm assuming the Chicago Teachers Union are coming after me in 2023. Mm. And now comes the spin. We're getting in the spin zone, buddy. The following comes from Illinois Politico and Shia Kapos The strike is over, but no one said the Chicago Teachers Union was done fighting. In fact, there's chatter. The CTU is already floating a possible candidate. To run against Mayor Lightfoot. While CTU VP Stacy Davis Gates, SDG, who was outspoken <laughs> during the strike, comes to mind as a possible challenger, insiders point to Cook County Commissioner and frequent guest here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, (laughs) Brandon Johnson, a first-time Cook County Commissioner and middle school teacher who does legislative work with the Teachers Union. Former middle school
2: teacher. I don't believe he's still teaching in any middle school. By the way, did did Shia Kapos write and frequent Ben Jarofsky Show contributor?
3: No, oh, no, okay. that was me. I added that. Oh, okay. uh, she added something that you <laughs> an probably won't, editorial aside by Young Dennis. She added something in here that you probably won't like, but we'll go. We'll get there. Uh, he has a six-figure uh, salary. That's what it says here. Johnson helped organize the 2012 CTU strike and led field campaigns in the 2015 mayoral runoff. Johnson is also a familiar name on. Radio. We'll just say. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Come on. I'm above that, D. Didn't I just say, didn't I just say that Lori Lightfoot uh, should bury the hatch with the teachers union? And Brandon Johnson, can I say this? Can I I say this? Yeah. Brandon Johnson uh, has a show on a certain radio station here in the city of Chicago, uh, which I used to work at. Had a show on that station until they called me in one day and said, hey, son. Beat it. Leave. Didn't let the door hit you any way out. But, C.D., I've, I've moved on from that, okay? I will now name the station. They'll show you this is a lesson for Lori Lightfoot. You can get along with people. Ben, you're growing. I've, I've grown. I've matured. I've moved on, all right? So here we go. The station is WC... WC, you are fire. No, WC later. Uh, Maya has entered the building. Maya has entered the building. WCPT. Some of my dear friends work for WCPT. I would name them, except they probably all get fired if the boss is new. No, come on! I love Antonio. Anyway, uh, you're taking big steps today. Yeah. Man. No, come on.
3: So yeah, Brandon has that show on Sundays and W. It, it says here he's a familiar name on WCPT radio. I used to work there too. The doctor. How many years did you work there? Like seven years. Mm-hmm. Where? Seventy years? Did you? Seventy. Yes, I'm old. Seventy years. I've been there. It just seemed like 70, huh? I'm 90. <laughs> All right. So Johnson is also a familiar name on WCPT radio. Where? What station e- is that again, d? d? They fired you. It's WCPT 820. We get it. W, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> where he's used his Sunday talk show to criticize the mayor. We're talking about Brandon Johnson, by the way. Yeah. And one of, we got Good a luck criticizing
2: track. the mayor in a weekday show, on the other hand. Sorry. <laughs> okay. That was okay. really uncalled for. <laughs> yeah. That was uncalled for.
3: <laughs> All
2: right. Uh, took Steps back there. Uh, don't criticize the mayor, All
3: right? In one episode of Brandon Johnson's show on WCPTA 20 that fired oh. Ben Jarofsky, for example, <laughs> suggested Lightfoot is suppressing, quote, freedom and the expansion of democracy for black and brown people by not backing a fully elected school board. Still, Johnson says he hasn't been approached to run. Uh, Politico asked Johnson, and he said, quote, there's no link between the CTU strike and my future as an elected official. Uh, conflation of the two is irresponsible and a disservice to our members and their sacrifice. He insists it's, quote, laughable to think CTU would push a mayoral candidate this early. Our members don't play politics, says Johnson. The commissioner says his focus is on passing Cook County's six billion dollar budget and his, quote, just housing Ordinance, a measure that would prohibit landlords from turning away potential renters based on criminal records.
2: Yeah, I know some people out there love stacy Davis Gates and are urging her to run. She'll be our guest tonight at the Hideout. I'm sure that conversation, uh, that discussion, will come up. But uh, yeah, it is a little early. Um, I mean good god the mayor's got three more years right and i think there's ample time for ctu uh to and lori lightfoot to sort of figure out how to coexist in this city they're both democrats i should point out that most of the leaders of the ctu are down i don't know anybody who's not elite a democrat into ctu lori lightfoot is a democrat and she, you might say well she's more of the centrist a variety of Democrat, uh, but her platform that she ran on was like st- straight out of the Chicago CTU playbook. So I think there's more than enough time for these two forces in the city of Chicago to kind of work things out. Uh, we'll see what Maya has to say in this subject. Uh, she's sit- settling in, but uh, it's a little premature to start talking about <laughs> Brandon Johnson's mayor run. I agree with Brandon on that one.
3: I think the media just, you know, really like talking about that strike. They just can't let go. Maybe, they right? can't
2: let go. It's easier. It's more fun talking about the strike and the and the political personalities uh, than it is taking a deep dive into like how many nurses do we have in the public schools, etc. and so forth. So, yeah, I'm into the personality stuff too, D. I got to admit, uh, you know, it's good when high powered
3: personalities have public fights. It's titillating, as they say. Tonight, Stacy Davis-Gates, vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, will be the guest at First Tuesday this evening, Maya's first First Tuesday show. Tons of questions that you guys can ask Stacey Davis-Gates. In fact, some would say billions.
1: Yes, that's billion <laughs> with a <B.
3: laughs> be All a right. long show if we ask a billion questions. All right, everybody. Uh,
0: <laughs> I... I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait. I really hope everybody shows up tonight. Uh, It's going to be a good time.
3: All right, everybody. Don't go anywhere because coming up after this short little break, Maya's going to be talking more with Ben all about the first Tuesday show and so much more. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarovsky, The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40%
2: of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. LandCremationOptions.com.
3: Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Maya's fired
2: up for tonight's uh, first Tuesday show, her first ever first Tuesday show Uh, As a co host. As a co host, Mm because you've been a guest uh, and you've
0: been in attendance. In attendance. Yeah. Uh,
2: So, do you have anything in mind in particular that you're going to do tonight? Are you going to sing a song or something?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I'm going to try to keep my shit together so that we can have a good and productive time. Uh, talking with Stacy and giving the audience what they want.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, t- who knows what they want? Uh, but um, there's so much that I, I want to talk to you about. But let's just do a little uh, first Tuesday. I don't know uh, if, if folks out there. Uh, most I know a lot of our listeners have been to first Tuesday, but it's at the Hideout. It's a bar on the north side of Chicago, right in the heart of Lincoln Yards, right across the street from Fleet Field, with soccer field where the the teachers. I uh, had a huge protest on last uh, Friday. I think it was thirteen fifty four West Wabansia six thirty. Stacy Davis Gates, vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, will be our guest. Uh, five dollar cover. Five dollar cover. Just
0: so folks know, bring bring
2: five bucks. Five dollars. And uh, you know, Stacy, we're going to be talking to her. Well, is there any particular question that you have at the top of your mind that you want to ask Stacy more than anything? I mean, else?
0: the main thing that I that I want to. Uh, steer the conversation towards is that, you know, me and you, like we, 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 we've been just up to our ears in strike news for weeks. We've been following it really closely, but I think a lot of people and a lot of people probably are not comfortable admitting this, but a lot of people, I think don't really fully understand why the strike was necessary and what exactly it accomplished. So, My hope is that this conversation will help folks get a deeper understanding of that. And so they come away from this a little more informed and a little less because, you know, when something so big happens, when something is so, so huge in the news, so, so big in, in, you know, socially in the city, um, I think that people who may not fully understand what it's all about or, or what's going on may feel kind of shy or insecure about, you know, like saying that because it seems like everybody knows why what this is all about so I just want to kind of go from the proceed from the assumption that our entire audience isn't you know 100% super well versed on why this happened and what it was for um and and really give uh people an opportunity to to kind of debrief and 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 um you know, come away with a better understanding of of, of why this was so important.
2: Yeah, and uh, coincidentally, it's uh, the Reader's issue this week is best of Chicago, and uh, I did a story about the strikes, uh, sort of summing up my thoughts on the strike and dealing with some of the issues you're raising. Uh, and but I do believe that the strike represents, in some ways, the best of Chicago in terms of standing up for a principle. Uh, A principle that's usually overlooked, and that is how our money is distributed in the city of Chicago, and and how resources are distributed in the city of Chicago. I'm just going to give a shout out to the teachers. Uh, yay
0: for our teachers, yeah, yay, for, oh, our yay te- for our teachers, <laughs> he's doing give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> yay yeah, for our teachers, You caught him come in, on Dr. G.
3: <laughs> he was doing some. I don't know, he's typing. What are you doing email. man? Uh, I was chatting with the live stream chat. Oh, okay. Yay for our
2: teachers. <laughs> oh my God. He's like feverishly searching for Ronner. Where'd it go? Uh, but yay for our teachers indeed. Although I don't think Bruce Ronner would be, when he said yay, yay for our, our teachers, teachers. <laughs> I don't think this is what he had in mind. Uh, by the way- No, the,
0: but it, you know what, it represents the best of. Chicago, also because this is this 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 is this is the what the city is all about is people organizing grassroots movements, succeeding in moving city politics in a more democratic direction. Oftentimes, also not succeeding, but willing to put it all out on the line and take teachers!
3: Exactly. Yes. Better
2: late than never. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely. <laughs> cro- this is an age-old. story in the city of chicago maya any reporter who comes here you you immediately start covering uh, examples of it or if you read history you see examples of it chicago is the birthplace of modern community organizing and labor labor movements Mm -hmm. and so all this was on display with the teachers it's uh, part of the reason why uh, community organizations and labor organizations got to be so good in chicago because the resistance to the things that they were fighting for was so strong that they had to be good Mm -hmm. and they're up against powerful machine and powerful uh, corporate interests that had connections with machines and so yeah this is just sort of a new chapter uh in an ongoing uh, story with yeah. what the teachers just went through there's
0: nothing there's nothing more Chicago than than a successful strike
2: you you I, call you it know, a successful strike well
0: okay so this is I guess one of the things that we need to um kind of bring up in the discussion with Stacy tonight but there's I, I feel like there's nothing more Chicago than uh than a a taking to the streets by a lot of uh, the, you know, quote-unquote little guys to pressure the people with the power to do something differently. Um, You don't think it was a successful strike? I
2: I think, uh, well, this is something I want to discuss uh, tonight, but at the the risk of sounding like Bill Clinton, I suppose you have to define what success uh, means. I believe that it was successful in this aspect clearly Lori Lightfoot was not addressing matters of wraparound services like nurses librarians etc before the strike uh she was not addressing class size before the strike you go read Sarah Carps, uh, Sarah Karp from WBZ did a good job of yeah of uh, keeping track of what the union was asking for and what uh, the mayor was offering down throughout the uh uh, the negotiations. And if you take a look at the issue of, uh, of uh, class size and wraparound services, there was nothing on the table from Lori until they went on strike. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, guess what? They're negotiating. on I give Lori Lightfoot credit for that. By the way, I do give her credit that there's forces in Chicago, like the Chicago Tribune's editorial board who are mad at her for having made those concessions to the union. Uh, I feel she did the right thing. I feel that she should have brought him up months before in private conversations yeah, with the union. I mean,
0: again, like, I wish I could I, I wish I could be in a room with like even five people, five people who actually care about what the Chicago Tribune editorial board says about anything. And I say this yeah. as a former employee yeah. of the Chicago Tribune editorial board. And I have, you know, nothing but gratitude for the support that the folks on the Chicago Tribune editorial board gave me when I first got to the city and started working here in journalism. Okay. But I, I, I know that it matters in, you know, at city hall, what those folks say, but As in like regular people who have to live and work in this city, I have never, ever met anyone who was who would say, hmm, I wonder what the Chicago Tribune editorial board has to say about this or the Sun-Times editorial board for that matter. Well, you know, like,
2: okay, and part of the I mean, now we're (laughs) in another subject, a a tangent within a tangent. But the struggle that all journalists have in this day and age is remaining relevant.
0: Maybe we're the only ones reading the Chicago Tribune editorial I, I know. Board I
2: read them on a regular basis because so I want to know what the other side is saying. And I read Johnny Cass on a regular basis to Are see they what just, the well,
0: They saying. I hope you're only doing it in print. Please
2: don't click on that. No.
0: Because uh, then you're just you're just paying Johnny Cass. Uh,
2: well, first of all, um, I am. I pay Johnny Cass and the Chicago Tribune editorial board's salaries. I contribute to it because I subscribe. To the paper. I, to the newspaper. Okay. And here it is. And I tell everybody, home subscription Well, that's
0: tribute. fine because your <laughs> subscription dollars are also paying for the investigative reporting yes, and for indeed. David Jabson's work and for Mary Schmieg's salary and all of that stuff. Like, all I'm saying is...
2: And Michael Hawthorne, don't and forget him.
0: Your outrage, yeah, and your outrage at Johnny Cass... Well, is is only dollars every time you click on it online so valid point you know if you don't don't like him and you don't think he should be having a platform don't click on his stuff online i
2: I, uh actually i read the tribune as a newspaper so i'm not fantastic uh, and very i read the well whatever no but you were
0: saying what who cares who like who to whom does it matter What the Tribune in the city of Chicago, people who live and work in the city of Chicago.
2: Yes. And so I do believe that the uh, Chicago Tribune speaks for a certain segment of Chicagoans, uh, the well-to-do corporate class of Chicago, the Bruce Rauner Chicagoans who may have homes in uh, other cities. No,
0: speaks for is very different than speaks to. Do those people need the Chicago Tribune to help them formulate their opinion?
2: No, but they need the Chicago Tribune's voice to broadcast their opinion and try to influence uh, Lori Lightfoot. And let's but who
0: it, is it supposed to, to try to influence Lori Lightfoot?
2: And so... Yeah. And so That's not public opinion. Every day of, yeah, I agree with you. And that's part of the disconnect between the Tribune and the larger population of the city of Chicago. I completely agree with you. Every day of the strike, the Chicago Tribune wrote an editorial blasting the Chicago Teachers Union, blasting the teachers of Chicago. It's supposedly speaking up for the children of the Chicago public schools. And they would do this thing like victims of the strike, totally overlooking the fact that the teachers were trying to champion more spending on the classrooms, on the kids, right? Throwing that out, other looking at the other way of that, and I've heard uh, variations of the Tribune's argument from Northside. I dealt, I deal with this in this week's column. Northside yeah. residents who are would be embarrassed to be lumped in with the Tribune's like Trumpian side, MAGA hat-wearing side, but have that kind you know the type My, they got that kind of attitude about
0: no they I know the type I know exactly the type, the type is that they still feel like supporting Lori Lightfoot is some kind of a, a, a reflection of their identity and so they're very, they're very defensive around any kind of criticism of Lori Lightfoot because they feel they take it personally they don't relate to her as just like a political candidate they chose and now she owes them something they they see it as that like oh criticism of Lori Lightfoot is like are reflecting badly on me as a person. Yeah, it's a very it's a very it's like you know yes I know, I know those North Side liberals. I know the
2: North Side liberals. <laughs> I've lived along them my whole life and. There's also a disdain that many North Side liberals have uh, toward unions, toward people who are striking. Uh, and I'm, I've said this on the show from a, a personal level, and you were there supporting me. God bless Maya. She wasn't even a member of the Chicago Reader at the time. But the Reader, we were negotiating with our old bosses like two owners ago. What
0: are you talking about? I wasn't a member of the Chicago Reader. No,
2: wait, let me finish the story. Okay. And you'll not realize at the time, I, you, I don't believe you were a staffer at the Reader, or maybe you were so new as a staffer. No, you. I don't think you were a staffer. We did a little action we're in the middle of our negotiations outside the. Oh, with Scabby stuff. the Rat. Yeah, with Scabby yeah, the Rat. Yeah, no, I
0: was on contract still yeah, at the time. You yeah, a,
2: you were still. So you were not a, a full time employee of the. Uh, no, of the I was paper. just.
0: I was working there full time, but not getting any benefits. And,
2: and yes, <laughs> there you go. Welcome, like, <laughs> welcome to the twenty first century. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she showed up. A lot of guts. My uh, that was my guy. Uh, Man, this girl's got some guts because she was a crack, correct yes it is correct she showed up uh with our my good friend robin god bless her who was uh, uh not in the union either to uh, to support management. us yeah and i really appreciated that in a, in a deep way but it was so difficult to be on that street with those signs people walking by he felt i felt so exposed and uh, vulnerable uh, but we did it as a group we were you know, pushing for our, our cause. And uh, so there are people in the city of Chicago, not just Northsiders, but it's really concentrated on Northside, who have a dis- disdainful attitude for anybody on the street with a, a picket sign. You know what I'm saying? That's that vulnerable and that's exposed. And
0: so what?
2: I'm just saying. I mean, it. who
0: gives a shit about what those people's attitude is? The point is that, th- unfortunately... We have uh, we have a situation in which we had a mayoral election with almost record low turnout. And a lot of the people who have that kind of attitude got a, you know, a disproportionate. They're the ones that showed up to the polls. So here's the mayor we have. But I mean, whatever, like my point is that I don't. Back to my question of who cares about the what the editorial board's thinks. I, I I almost sometimes I feel like like is it just like you know are are you just battling you know scarecrows and windmills like who 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 is who is the uh, who is who is the opponent there? I mean because like I don't think your listeners are particularly convinced by the arguments of the editorial board. Do you?
2: I do, the people who listen to me on mm-hmm. a regular basis. Uh, no, they would hear them, but that doesn't mean we ignore them. For instance, I don't think my listeners are particularly convinced by Donald Trump's arguments and attitude. Donald Trump, uh, on a regular basis, I get... This, this This thought just popped in my head. I used to make fun of it. I get those Tea Party uh, email updates, and I get I, five or six of them. I an hour. I mean, as I'm sitting here right now, I got my phone off. When I turn the phone back on, there's going to be just volumes of it. And so it's, it's a struggle. Like, do you just ignore it because the people within your bubble, in your world, don't pay attention to it? Or do you confront it? Do you confront the the, the arguments that the other side makes? I feel compelled to confront the arguments that the other side makes. They're putting it out there. The, the, the Tribune had a role in electing Donald Trump. What was that role? They would not support Hillary Clinton. They couldn't bring themselves to Hillary to support Hillary Clinton, and they were too chicken to support Donald Trump, so they supported Gary Johnson. Yeah, but... <laughs> and who, I know. No, what a joke. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. No, but uh, uh, listen, but the, the Tribune is the news. Like, Hillary Clinton had no problem winning Illinois.
2: No, but the Tribune had... I'm just saying they could have had an impact in Michigan. Uh, they could have had an impact you in Do you really Wisconsin. think
0: anyone in Michigan give, gives a damn about what the Chicago Tribune editorial board has to say? I
2: think in a close election, everything counts and everything plays a role. Well, and
0: speaking of which... We'll finish your thought,
2: though. No, that's pretty much finished. My, I
0: mean, thought. this brings us to what we were going to talk about with this polling
2: stuff. Oh yes, yes.
0: Because this is exactly this is why like this is this is like makes my brain break because like the idea that it that the people for, that the people in Michigan would that there's some connection between the pe- people in Michigan. What we mean when we say that is like white. Working class, or working class adjacent, or suburban conservative residents of Michigan, who we who who the popular sort of discourse considers to be that as the people who will decide this election, that they are on some kind of axis of of relationship and influence with the Chicago Tribune editorial board. It's only it's only uh uh, uh you know. It's like, uh, this, it's like maybe there's some kind of relationship of similar ideologies popping up in two different places or whatever. But I truly don't think that the Trump voters of Michigan are going to have any uh, care about what the Probably. Chicago I, Tribune... And if the Chicago Tribune editorial board turned around and endorsed Bernie Sanders, the people in Michigan would not care wow, either.
2: No, no. Whoa, what a thought, by the way. Let's just pause. But but I'm just just saying, why
0: would it like that would be but this brings me to the to the larger point of like how I still think that these all these conversations about electability and all these polls about who has the best chance of beating Donald Trump and blah, 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 blah. Like everything is just like revolving around. How do we get the people who are likely voters who voted for Donald Trump to to vote? For the Democratic nominee. So which nominee is going to be best to appeal to the Trump voters? And I like I I wish there was some kind of like I just don't see any opening in the coverage around this around talking about like voter registration. And today's episode of The Daily, the New York Times uh, podcast, Mm -hmm. The Daily, which I, every time they broach this issue, I just, I want (laughs) to scream. But today they, 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 it was all about their own, how the New York, New York Times own polling Mm -hmm. happens. And they basically explain the methodology and how they do this over the phone because it's still the most accurate way to create a representative sample of an electorate in each state. And they focus their polling right now on only the six states that were like the swing states, basically. And uh, they make like hundreds of thousands of phone calls to get 5000 respondents Mm. that they need to Mm -hmm. actually Create who, the,
2: who does this the the polling service that they employ they
0: employ it's like through a college I forgot what the name of the college is but they but it's like college students and other kind of part-time people that are hired to, to to or maybe it's full-time jobs I don't know but it's but it's people who are hired to like do be on the phone mm-hmm. calling and as a former employee of uh, a college's fundraising, call center, uh, I I completely understand how difficult it is to be doing that job and get, especially now when people are mostly on their cell phones and they can see a number they don't recognize and they don't pick up, et cetera. I mean, some of these people make like 200 phone calls in an hour or two hours, and they maybe get like five responses. Like people will actually stay on the phone with them and talk. And so then because the sample they get of people who will talk to them is still uh, not fully representatives. They have to do all these kind of statistical adjustments uh, to make it so that like they they account more, that way more heavily the responses of people, of like less educated people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they didn't explain fully why this is, but my understanding is I guess maybe because like the, uh, the, 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 maybe they get more, voter information or phone numbers from people who skew more, uh, as, you know, being college educated or whatever. But the point is that this whole, the whole, the whole thing is revolving around what are the voters in this? What are the likely voters in the swing States thinking? And, uh, so all of this, all of this, like polling and all the ways that they ask these questions, like it all still revolves around the same kind of like set of givens, that the thing that's going to matter is where the trump voter, how the trump voters from 2016 are going to vote now and there was just one moment in this conversation on this episode of the daily where the where the where the host interlocutor who was like i don't know the the main poll analyst for the new york times or whatever mentioned something about how like well you know there's uh there's a uh Uh, a year left so who knows what kind of voter registration efforts you know will materialize in the next year they could they could like you know whatever and i feel like that is the conversation that should be happening what is happening with voter registration in michigan and wisconsin and like all these places that are in florida whatever like what like they said at one point that the that when they call and poll people who say that they support Bernie Sanders, that they have more respondents say that they're not sure if they're going to vote. So the people who are supporting Bernie Sanders are more likely to say yeah. they're, they don't usually vote or they're not sure if they're going to vote. So
2: Yeah, I, I know. finish <laughs> it. I know just where you're going. I was thinking the same thing. Go ahead, finish I, your I, thought.
0: Like the, the, the name of the game should be, how do we get these people out to vote?
2: And, and this is uh, a pet peeve of mine. There's uh, Nate Cohn... Who is the uh, pollster writer for the New York Times? Mm-hmm. He may be. Oh, that's that.
0: the guy. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, Nate, yeah, Nate yeah.
2: Cohn. Yeah. Uh, my joke is, we used to be Nate Silver, and then he left to form his own uh, website his own po- polling plus. apparatus, and so they replaced <laughs> it with Nate Cohn. Apparently, you have to be named Nate to get this job at the New um, York Nate
0: Times. Nate is such a like data pollster job m- oh, definitely. name for that job. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> I'm convinced that Nate Cohn has figured out that the f- best way to get hits, which is you were alluding to earlier, is the whole game. Uh, is to put a poll out there that freaks the hell out of New York Times readers by saying Donald Trump is going to win re-election. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today's New York Times has such a story. Uh, Trump is remaining competitive, if not popular, by Nate Cohn. Here's an article. Yeah, this is
0: the the podcast was based right. on that. Yep. Yeah,
2: see, that's different that's a generational thing. Mm. Uh, Maya listened to the podcast. I read the article on a newspaper. No, uh, it's
0: because I can only afford to subscribe to the Sunday Times, Ben, instead okay. of the daily instead of the <laughs> well, daily delivery.
2: Uh, but uh, all right. So anyway, so Nate Cohn, it, it, the article is it, when you get when you start taking the deep dive into his statistics, he makes that distinction that you just alluded to. But Bernie is beating Donald Trump in the first poll of of voters of registered voters then they get to likely voters which is a category that Nate Cohen has apparently invented for the purposes of his story based on the fact that they can't guarantee as you were saying that Sanders voters will vote because Sanders voters what they're not going to vote but
0: it's not you know it's not Nate Cohen's job to make Sanders voters vote this is the thing that the Democratic Party needs to be focusing on right now is like rather than figuring out what kind of amalgam of of, of Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker molecules they can assemble yeah. as like the perfectly electable candidate, they need to they need to change the electorate. Like they, rather than just continuing to like
2: change you the know, electorate by getting people who are not uh, currently part of that electorate to participate.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the, the, there's. I just feel like it's like a crust of bread that two toothless people are just like, and I don't mean like, as in like, I'm not, I'm like elderly people who forgot their dentures, maybe like that kind of image is what I have are like gumming their way across this like, crust of bread back and forth have, and the crust of bread is this like electro, these like suburban likely voters you know these people who are like pissed off and they're definitely voting for trump but then maybe they voted for barack obama before and it's like everybody's like well, how do we get like this guy with no teeth to be like eating and gumming more of this breadcrumb than the other guy just like there's like a whole world of people out there that that i just don't feel like connected to this yeah. at all and, and in fact it's like you know, uh, lots of people who probably went out to vote for Donald Trump last time around in 2016, that may have been their first time voting. And maybe they're never going to vote again or they don't you know, they're not going to vote this time around. But I'm just saying that, like, I, I, I just have like a sinking feeling the more time goes on and the more all the conversation is about is about electability. And it's all focused on, like, what are these white people in Wisconsin and in Michigan? who voted for trump before how do we get them to flip
2: by the way i just have to do a little promotion here uh henry davis will be on the show tomorrow uh speaking and he is the uh Councilman from South Bend, Indiana, who's very critical Ooh, of Pete uh, Buttigieg. Yeah. Uh, speaking of somebody who's uh, making a rise in the polls and is very centrist. Uh, and is, it's just like this fundamental decision that the Democratic Party is going to make through its its uh, the, its electorate. Uh, which direction do they want to head as they... Uh, prepare to confront Donald Trump so uh, uh, just all this talk I had to do a little promotion Henry Davis will be here uh, and Maya before I let you go Michelle can is on deck we're going to bring her on real soon to talk about a reader story Asylum City yeah which I have right here I see Michelle's looking at it she's also uh, a great photographer and promised to take a picture of us uh, but uh, before I do that I this I don't know if you saw this I sent you the article but I'm not sure you had the opportunity to read it today's Sun Times this is just a Maya story, folks, and let me just uh, explain a little bit. Uh, was it about a year ago that Maya did a, um, an in depth profile of an attorney in Chicago named Dan Herbert who represented Jason Van Dyke.
0: And, and a lot of other cops accused him of misconduct. Yeah, he, I don't believe ultimately. he's
2: working for the Fraternal Order of Police Not anymore. anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. anymore. Uh, but his latest client uh, is he's representing the family of a child who um, was falsely accused, allegedly, of misconduct and... Uh, the, regard, the
0: child? Was yeah, well, the child... Well,
2: yeah, uh, the, here we go. A newly released video shows a CPS principal offering an allegedly fabricated story in order to explain why one of her students spent more than 30 minutes outside the school in frigid weather, according to the boy's family. This is by Mitch Dudick in Today's Sun-Times. New video shows principal allegedly lied about forcing a student out into cold. The delightful irony of this is that the attorney for the, the kid who has uh, brought forth the video showing that the principal may have quote-unquote allegedly lied, I always put the word allegedly in there, uh, is none other than your good friend Dan Herbert. And uh, Dan Herbert, essentially, the argument he's making with this video uh, is that you believe, believe, seeing is believing. What you see is what you get. The video tells the truth, and I just took when, when I read his this entire article.
0: <laughs> whole argument. Every time there is a police misconduct yeah. situation, is you can't see what you, you can't believe what you see. That yeah. the video doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah. Who are you
2: going to believe, uh, me or your lying eyes? And yeah. I just read this article. I had a big smile on my face because on one hand, it just brought home a, a central conceit that a lawyer told me years ago: lawyers, their job, it's not about truth; it's about representing their client. And in this case, his client has changed. He's got a different client. Uh, and I just, when I saw this article, I thought of you because you wrote that uh, really great uh, profile, very uh, telling profile of Dan Herbert and how he viewed the world and how he went about his business.
0: I encourage everyone to check it out. It's, uh, it's it's if you can Google Dan Herbert's Chicago Reader, you'll find it. But it reminds me too that Dan Herbert recently paid for, he paid Twitter to promote this tweet of his which was his statement on the Chicago teacher strike. The tweet is (laughs) hashtag Chicago teacher strike. What a shame for all these student athletes that sacrificed and did everything they were supposed to only to be betrayed by their quote unquote leaders.
2: Wow. Well, I don't know what he paid.
0: <laughs> he, pay, he paid to promote yeah. this tweet.
2: I'm not sure. I we should bring him on. We should bring him on sometime. You should. Dan is a good
0: talker. Yeah. And know? I was just
2: curious when he says leaders, who is he alluding to? Is he alluding to the political leadership? Or, or
0: the, the teachers? Or the
2: teachers? I mean, it's uh, not clear. It's leaders not cl- is it's, ambiguous. It's not
0: clear. Leaders is ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, what a shame for all these student athletes to sacrifice and did everything that was supposed to only be... I mean, Yeah.
2: I do feel bad for the uh, athletes uh, who lost out on opportunities to participate in the state championship. I think soccer teams lost out. I think ultimately the cross country runners got to run. Uh, And uh, I do, I hope this is a great opportunity for the city of Chicago, having done this, to take a look at sports, the inadequate support of sports in the city.
0: Exactly. And also, there are so many children in the city who cannot participate in the sports because they, like, I don't know, can't afford uniforms because they can't they, they they their parents can't take them to have a physical to to qualify to play sports at the school like
2: this is a great opportunity, uh, to take this in a whole new direction and do a greater job. I remember the same, making the same argument with the Olympics when the Olympics, when Mayor Daly was proposing the Olympics, I was like building all these stadiums and parks. We don't have one indoor running facility in the whole city of Chicago open to the public. I'm like, why don't, before you build us the stadium in Washington park for the Olympics, let's, uh, take care of our local needs. So, uh, well, there will be a uh, Conrad Warhol on the show a couple weeks ago. There will be one indoor facility. So something good has happened in the last 12 years. Conrad has uh, has told me many times, Maya, not to be so cynical and skeptical. OK, mm-hmm. so. All right. Uh, so I'm going to let Maya go. We got Michelle sitting on deck before we do one more time. Tonight that's correct uh thank you 6 30 that's correct <laughs> hideout that's correct I first that Tuesdays
0: with Maya and Ben and Stacey Davis Gates it's the the debrief on the Chicago Teachers Union strike and
2: yay for, <laughs> yes. yay for our teachers yay for our teachers uh, the doctor right there when he needs some all right Michelle Kenar on deck and we're gonna be talking about Asylum City her great story in our beloved Chicago Reader. Here's the Chicago Reader.
0: Yes, and this is this is last week's issue, man.
2: That is correct.
0: Yeah, so th- now there's a different mm-hmm. issue in the stands. And tomorrow and Thursday, we've got the Best of Chicago issue dropping. It's a monster, a monster of an issue, probably our biggest issue in years. Uh, please pick it up. There's lots of good stuff in there. And, uh, you know, you get to find out who you Chicagoans chose as, you know, everything as the best social media personality to best t-shirt shop to best pizza and whatever else, you know.
2: All right, actually, this is two weeks ago. This is uh, Michelle's story. was October 24th. And then there was... Uh, October 31st, and then there's this week. So, all right. Uh, thank you very much. Maya will be driving with us, D. All right. Oh, awesome. Yeah. awesome. Maya's going to be hanging around, and she's going to drive with us. You're going to experience Dennis as a driver. Uh, he's an outstanding driver. Uh, <laughs> Michelle Canar on deck. We're going to bring her on
3: when we return. Once again, everybody, tonight, first Tuesday, 1354 West Wabanzia, starting at 6.00. 30 it's maya Masaba's very first co-hosting show with stacy davis gates talking all thing the chicago teacher strike local politics and they may get to national politics we've got a feeling they're really going to talk about that chicago teacher strike tonight 6 30 west Wabanzia. get your tickets now if it sells out don't worry you can check it out on the facebook page at benny j show
2: What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. M is in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel.
3: Social workers, psychologists, counselors. Um... We think that adequate services for special education. All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, November 5th, is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Thanks, unions. You guys are great. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126, and District 8 sponsor this program. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, sponsor this program. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, also sponsor this program. Thank you once again. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. Tuesday, November 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader Studio, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> In this hour of the program, we welcome photographer Michelle Canar, and put on your big boy pants, President and CEO of Personal Pack, Terry Cosgrove is back. And now your host, president and CEO of Nothing, (laughs) Chicago Reader columnist Ben
2: Jarofsky. Michelle Canary in the studio. Michelle Canary in the studio, one of my favorite people in the whole universe. She's in the studio, really super talented. I cannot say this enough, photographer. We were so fortunate to work on a story a couple years ago. That's when I met her. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, her latest uh, endeavor, Asylum City. As uh, I was saying with Maya, it's in the reader. The reader issue of, can't even read the date, October 24th, I'm a little behind, but Michelle's <laughs> been making the, I heard Michelle and WBEZ D. No way. Yeah, Not man. alone, not alone. <laughs> not oh, alone. Man. I was like, that's my girl right there.
3: That'll <laughs> be a, that was a more professional interview. I'm oh my God, it was like,
2: Michelle, tell me. No, it wasn't like that at all. It
3: was a great interview. You got an update, D? Yeah, I do, actually. First off, tonight is the night, everybody. First Tuesday, 13th. 1354 West Waubonsia. We're going to plug this as much as we can, all right? Stacy Davis-Gates, vice SDG. president of SDG, we call mm-hmm. her here. We've called her Governor Gates before. We, You know, she's awesome. She's going to be at the hideout tonight. 1354 West at 6.30 p.m. Get your tickets. If it's sold out, don't worry. We'll be posting the first Tuesday show on our Facebook page, at Benny J Show. Check it out. Okay, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And the one and only Fran the woe man Spielman, Chicagoans suffering from mental health issues and their community advocates demanded today that oh yeah, today that Mayor Lori Lightfoot honor her campaign promise to reopen six mental health centers famously closed. By former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. Lightfoot promised to reopen the six city centers, but her 2020 budget keeps them closed. A seventh center privatized under Emanuel would remain so. Instead, the mayor has earmarked $9.3 million to increase capacity at the five remaining city clinics and support, quote, 20 trauma-informed centers of care in, quote, areas of greatest need impacted By violence and poverty.
2: Yeah, this was a big story back in uh, 2011. Oh my goodness, bring back memories just thinking about it. uh, Mayor Rahm, uh, in that first budget, uh, closed these six clinics. I saved a fraction of the of the budget. You know, the deficit the city was facing. Uh, It was a a purely. I thought it was a cruel move. These clinics in high crime areas. Uh, Folks need more mental health care, not less. And uh, folks in the general in the society today, everybody's freaking losing their mind. Need more mental health care, and not less. And particularly in high crime areas. And I just thought it was one of the most the cruelest acts that Ram, uh did in that first budget. He refused to meet with the activists who were protesting it. There were sit downs, uh, sit ins in his uh, city hall office. He dodged and ducked and just have wanted to avoid having any consequence for it. And to its ultimate disgrace, the Chicago City Council, the aldermen, voted 50 to nothing for that first budget, including the closing of the clinics. And then shortly thereafter, I wrote this for the reader, uh, Rahm was uh, signing on uh, to a bill uh, that would have cut taxes on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, some of the wealthiest wheelers, dealers in the city of Chicago. So the the symbolic contrast between closing mental health clinics in high crime areas uh, and giving a tax break to some of the wealthiest people in Chicago was just too much for me to avoid, and so it was a it was a symbolically a wretched moment for the city of Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot promised, as on the campaign, to uh, to open up some of those clinics. So uh, come on, Lori Lightfoot, a couple of those clinics should be open. There's, there's money for that anyway all right very good d i thought you might have more but you do
3: not have more oh well i do know that rom rode his bike right i uh, just biked around lake michigan
2: nearly uh, a thousand miles okay yeah. I, think I always wanted to know how many miles it was uh michelle canard is my guest uh she is a photographer in the city of chicago uh First time you ever been to this studio, Michelle.
4: Yeah, it's looking pretty good. You like it? I like it. Yeah, That's I like a little,
2: it. little, little room they got us here down, down the hall from the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so just to remind everybody, I love this story. Michelle and I met, uh, was it t- 2016, I want to say, right?
4: It feels like 10 years ago.
2: It was a li- <laughs> not that long ago. She <laughs> was a child. Uh, she was so young. And we did the story together. Of we had so much fun doing this story of yeah. Sue Sedlowski Garza. Yeah, she had just been elected Alderwoman of the tenth ward. How did you get that gig yeah. for the Reader? You were the so I was a writer for the Reader, writing the story, and you were the photographer. So I don't even remember anymore. How was it your idea to do the Sue story in the first place? I, I
4: mean, I wish, but no. I was just lucky enough to get assigned to it, and then you and I spent like ten hours <laughs> riding around on the South Side. Yeah.
2: We, we rode all over the southeast side. It's a, a really cool <coughs> neighborhood on the far southeast side of the city yeah. of Chicago. It's a part of the city that borders uh, Indiana. So it's as far southeast as you go. We hung out with Sugarz and then we just went on our own. We took.
4: You remember that ore slip? Like, y- yes, that was the part that I really like really stuck with me. That was so beautiful. But that, sad.
2: Wait, that was the um on the old the side of the old steel mills. Yeah, yeah. That had long since been torn down and demolished. And it was just like this huge expanse of vacant land. Yeah. And in the middle of what was it? The ore slip. Yeah, it was like this giant slab of concrete or something like that.
4: Yeah, yeah, where the boats would pull in, I guess, and and dump it there and they had maybe like tracks or something. It looked like, I don't know how they did Railroad it. tracks. Railroad yeah. tracks. So yeah.
2: And uh, of course the steel mill's gone. So there's no boats pulling in. And it's just this remnant. Uh,
4: but they uh, had that building too. Do you remember? And they had like, this is our plan for the future. And it looked like that Disney ride. Yes, and there was like did. nobody there.
2: Yes. I do remember all that. Took pictures of it. Yeah. Uh, and she took a picture of me. Uh, so if you're on the Southeast side of the city of Chicago, uh, you have the same view of the Loop well not the same view you have the the southern view of the loop so on the north side you got the you you stand on the lake you see the Hancock building etc on the south side same thing right yeah. but cuz it's the south side it's not a high priced area it's just so bizarre you took that picture of me with the waving. And the, yeah. Michelle's been putting up with me for a long time. We were like
4: in these weeds that yeah. were like, you know, waist high.
2: I'm like, Michelle, Michelle, <laughs> take this picture of me. Come on, Michelle, Michelle. Take yeah. this. Okay, Ben. Uh, anyway, uh, so that was a lot of fun. All right, let's talk about Asylum City. Uh, the super cool article uh, that ran in the Reader, a story by Sarah Conway, uh, illustri- But you did not. Uh, you did some reporting here. This is yeah. n- Michelle, not the photographer, but Michelle, the writer. Uh, first of all, tell folks what Asylum City is, what it's all about.
4: Okay, so let's take a, a step back. So um, I'm the creative director for a new magazine that just launched called Borderless Magazine, um, and part of the launch, with part of the launch, we did this big feature story. Uh, That was in the Reader two weeks ago. And it was part of a series that we did called Asylum City that we did over the last year about asylum seekers, you know, going through the process, telling you individual stories, what it's like coming, making the journey, being at a detention center, immigration court, and then adjusting to life here.
2: And uh, so you were the one who did the interviews?
4: So uh, it was a combination, Sarah Conway and I and Aporva, and then Cash told his own story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had illustrations by Dan B. Kim, who's a local immigrant illustrator. and She did a fantastic job. And then we had a video by Ben Derrico, who's a videographer.
2: And let's talk about some of the, uh, the stories that are in this. What are uh, some of the more gripping tales uh, that are told in Asylum City?
4: Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, they all really are. Um, so I did the interviews that were Spanish language because I speak Spanish and Gabriela's story really stuck with me because it's a story about a woman who was separated from her child, a very young child, and who's really traumatized from the experience. So that one really stuck with me. You know, she made this journey here from El Salvador and it didn't know this would happen. He was taken away from her. Nothing was explained to him. He was three years old when this happened. So it was really traumatic for him. And they were separated, I think it was like eight months or something. And when when they were reunited, she said to me, I didn't recognize this boy anymore. It was, you know, he lost his uh, ability to speak. He was having accidents all the time, going to the bathroom when he wasn't supposed to. He was having trouble sleeping. You could tell. She said that she he felt he often like he would kind of cringe and Uh, You know, she, he was like really worried about being separated from her again, but also kind of blamed her, I think. And because she was never able to explain it, he was just like ripped from her.
2: I'm going to read an excerpt of it. Uh, It's uh, this is Gabrielle's from the reader and uh, Michelle did the interview on the journey. The only thing that mattered to me was my son. The first part of the trip was by bus. But as we got closer to the border, we were moved into an open truck bed with 135 people. I don't think about that 135 people we only had a little bit of water the top of the truck was open to sun rain and wind I remember fainting I remember people fainting around us and I just held my son in my arms because he was so weak he would only sleep when he would wake up he would say he wanted food but I didn't have any to give him we couldn't even get off the truck because the driver didn't want to stop
4: Hmm. yeah and I mean all of these stories they they're similar in the sense that like these people knew that these were going to be very difficult journeys and they did them anyway because they were desperate to leave their country. They were being persecuted, threatened with violence, you know, depending maybe on their, because of their race or beliefs or sexuality, you know? So imagine what it takes to, to make you do that, make that decision to do that, to put yourself or, and or your child through that.
2: Here's another excerpt from uh, Gabriella's story, as told by Michelle. We used a raft to cross the Rio Grande River at the border, but the raft had a leak. When we started to sink, I grabbed my son. I was shaking because I hadn't had anything to eat, but I put him up on my shoulder so he wouldn't get wet, and I grabbed a tree root to pull myself out of the river. Then I spent a half an hour walking through rural Texas before border control showed up and took us away. I didn't know it then, but the worst part of this journey was still waiting for us. We were all wet, and once they got us, I thought I would have clothes to change into because I was sick. They said there wasn't a hotel together. Uh, they, they said there weren't a hotel to give me clothes. S- completely exposed. How did she get out of that? How did she uh, finally get it together uh, to get to safety?
4: Uh. When? What do you mean? So she was picked up by Border Patrol and she was held in detention. Um, I think, you know, it uh, people have different experiences, you know. But uh, in her case, she she told us that she was treated pretty badly. Um, so they were pretty packed up, and she described, you know, being stuck in this what they called uh, like an ice room, yalera. Uh, so they crank it up so it's really cold, and you're very uncomfortable and freezing. Um, there's no room for you to sit or lay down. They're all standing. So a lot of things like that. Um, and she was there for a very long time. Um, I think what ended up helping, benefiting her is that the place where her son was being kept, there were some nuns visiting and they developed a relationship with him. And they got him, got help through some lawyers um, at the NIJC.
2: Is she in, uh, in Chicago right now?
4: So you know, I don't know. So last I heard, so this house closed down Mm -hmm. the house where we, so we went for eight months and we were reporting at a house, um, in Cicero, a shelter there for detained immigrants through the interfaith, um, center for detained immigrants. So they were sponsoring this house and, um, and we would go every Monday and have dinner and, and just talk to people, hear their stories, develop relationships. I mean, we met, a lot more people that are in this, but not everybody wants to share their story. So, um, so we, that's where we met her and yeah, you know, so when the house closed this past summer, and I think there were also some articles about that house closing down. Yeah. Um, after that, the one person I couldn't get back in touch with was her. So I'm not sure where she is right now. And she was having a very hard time. I remember with him.
2: Did uh, Who were some of the other stories that you chronicled uh, from the uh, uh, Asylum City,
4: aside from her? Okay, so Cash came from Jamaica, mm-hmm. and um, he was a writer and activist there. That's kind of why he, he get, um, was having trouble, because he was being so outspoken about his um, sexual orientation and rights. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, there were a lot of threats on his life, a lot of violence that he endured, um, you know, people throwing rocks at him and, and nobody saying anything, you know, there's, you can't, you report that there's no witnesses. So like he, so he, um, chose to tell his own story and that's something that, uh, we we try to incorporate a lot is having people tell their own stories their own way. And he chose, he wanted to do that. So we thought that would be great. Um, and Cash's story is, he actually recently got asylum. So I think that's a happy story. He's interviewing right now for jobs. And I think he's doing pretty well. He actually has his own apartment.
2: The process of getting asylum is a very difficult and cumbersome one, correct? Yeah. Talk about that a little bit.
4: It also depends on where you're from because you have people who are coming from Cuba and it's one month, two months, and then, you know, they give they get asylum. We had... I, how long was Ali? Ali was waiting years, years, like over four years more, I think. Um, he left Pakistan mm. um, because also threats on his life. And um, and that's really hard because you're in limbo. You can't do anything. You know, you, you might not have a work permit. You can't. So you can't work. You can't find a place to stay. You're just waiting. And um, that's a really hard place to be.
2: The... Uh the stories that you tell, and they just cry out for compassion, uh, to have compassion for people in this extremely difficult predicament, and yet it doesn't seem like there's a lot of compassion uh, in the political climate of our country these days. Uh, I was talking a little bit about this with Maya in terms of Chicago and the attitude that people had about the teacher strike, not a lot of compassion in some circles, but uh, definitely this is the case, the prevailing attitude of the Republican party right now the run the Trump administration, not a lot of compassion uh, for, for folks who are facing this, uh, the predicament of the people that you interview. How are you dealing with that in terms of your stories and the message that you want to get out? Do you think that there is a chance that you can change people's minds and, and get them to open up their hearts a little bit?
4: Sure. I mean, that's why I'm doing it. Um, yeah, it's, I think that a lot of people just are uninformed. It's interesting because, like, immigration is such a big thing in this country. But if you look at, like, the amount of news outlets really covering immigration in depth or having, like, a dedicated immigration team, that doesn't exist. That's, like, the first thing that was cut at a lot of publications, I know, especially here in Chicago. So I think that that's a big part of it. You know, like, a lot of people think coming here and applying for asylum is illegal or, or there's something. But, it, you know, th- this is that's not it's not illegal to come across the border and ask for asylum so um we're trying to dispel these myths and just help people understand and humanize these stories and what we've seen is like a lot of community support i mean we had like a huge wheat paste poster campaign around this and that was donated um from ground lift media so they just did that we just had somebody did um uh, uh, an artist, uh, uh, I think uh, now I can't remember her name Aram uh, I think, she just made a huge banner for us um, pro bono, we did a, uh, just got a website done pro bono, I mean people are coming from all over to help us so I don't think, I do think that there is compassion and investment in these kind in this kinds of issues and stories and we're seeing that which is really great and of course there's always going to be people you know who disagree and and I don't know really what they're de- disagreeing with I think or, or you know haters gonna hate but like you just gotta tell them what um you know, this is what these people are going through, uh, and you know, this is a huge displacement crisis. People are su- are fleeing persecution, and we have a responsibility.
2: No, my memory is that you're from Florida. Do I have that right? It's my yeah. memory? Damn, look we'll at a memory in that. <laughs> uh, so, what's just sort of the general the attitude in your home state? Which is, mean, I think of Florida, <laughs> I think of people coming in from all corners. Well, well. Central America, the Caribbean, et cetera, and so forth, pouring into Florida. It's a very diverse state. Yet it's also a state that went for Trump uh, in the last election. It's neck and neck in the polls. So what's sort of the mindset in your own home state about these issues?
4: Well, I think there's Florida and there's Miami. And I'm from Miami.
2: (laughs) Explain that difference.
4: Oh, I don't know. Um, Well... (laughs) You know, Miami isn't really the U.S. It's 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 almost 100 percent Latin. So um, and it used to be very Republican um, because of the Cuban Cuban immigrants. But I think that that's changing a little bit now. It's becoming a little bit more democratic. Um,
2: I mean, is it becoming more democratic because the Cuban immigrants are moving to the Democrats, or is it becoming more democratic because people other than Cuban immigrants are moving there?
4: Well, people other than Cuban immigrants are moving there, but I think it's the younger Cuban immigrants that are becoming more democratic. So um, a little bit of both, but... um, you know that's it's interesting question. I mean, I'm the child of immigrants. I and everybody I know there is or is an immigrant and I think a lot of people it's like that same story you hear like, well, you like but that's enough, you know, no more. <laughs> we can't. But that, you know, I just I can't get behind that. I can't get behind that because like if you look at any time when there's been a crisis in the world like and people had to flee like you can't just leave them. You can't just turn your backs and and whenever we did we regretted that, mm-hmm. you know?
2: Absolutely. Uh, all right. So he's, that's Miami. What's about the rest of state of Florida?
4: <laughs> oh man, I hate talking for the rest of Florida. Well, yeah, it's a, it's pretty red. Um, and I, I, you know, I mean, it's the South. So, as uh, you, you have that, I think, well, there aren't as many immigrants in Northern Florida. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it's that prevailing attitude that um, people are coming here to take their jobs and they don't know who they are. Did you ever hear that radio story where um, they like had a bunch of people deported all of a sudden from this town? And then when people were seeing what it was doing and how it was breaking up the families and people in those families were talking about their stories, mm-hmm. all of a sudden things changed. And it was because there was a lot of segregation in that town and they had never gotten to know these people. Mm hmm. And I think that that's, that's what it is, what everything always stems from, right? It's just like a lack of knowledge and awareness and understanding.
2: Well, I, I uh, to that point, I have always struggled with really comprehending why. And I, this is the example. Somebody in North Dakota would be supportive of Donald Trump because he's building a wall in Mexico. I, I'm like, just looking at a map where North Dakota is on one end of the country and where mexico is on the other end of the country and north dakota is this state that really needs people to move there it's depopulated it's usually depopulated there's a whole issue of just like younger people moving away so why would somebody in north dakota a care about the immigration issue I mean it's not not even on their doorstep you know, number one and number two and why would they be so opposed uh, to having what a little more freedom and flexibility at the border to allow more people in? I, I've never understood you got any having done this do you have any insights uh, into the mindset in this country
4: these days? well I I mean this is just me going off the cuff but you know I think that people, people who are having a hard time, like people in places where they've lost industry, whatever it is, lost jobs, um, they look for, and this administration I think has done a good job of that, of giving something else to turn that to. Why is this happening? Who did this to me, right? A reason, somewhere to direct like where this, yeah. And so, and I think that that's what immigration has become for a lot of people. And so, you know, that's, yeah. A lot of times there's no, there's no fact or reasoning behind that. There isn't, but it's an easy thing to say, like, I, you know, I lost my job, whether if it's like a, a factory that closed down or a business, you know, whatever it is. And, or they, you know, and, and this is the reason why. <laughs>
2: Sorry, oh. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so Dennis is laughing over there in the I corner. Guess Terry Cosgrove's uh, yeah. cracking
3: me up in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> Terry Cosgrove's in the
2: corner. I agree with actually what you said. Uh, so in other words, it's just an easy target to blame on. And, yeah,
4: easy target, uh, right. Easy
2: target to blame, even if it's that target's not even literally in your state it's nowhere near your state yeah uh and it seems to be a driving force all right anyway the name of the story in the in the reader is asylum city uh if folks want to see more of your work and uh read more of the testimony where could they go michelle where do they where
4: can they find uh, some of these stories yeah so um on our new website we're going to be producing content regularly every wednesday it's borderlessmag.org and um, if you still have that reader, there's some pull-out posters there, and you can put them up in your neighborhood. That would be great. These?
2: Yeah. So,
4: yes. Yeah, yeah, you can. I'm play.
2: showing uh, our camera, pull-out uh, <laughs> posters. When you hear this is a podcast, are going, what is that? Uh, but, uh, yeah, here's an example. Asylum City, they said, quote, we are going to take your son At that moment, I wanted the earth to swallow me. It was the worst moment of my life. Uh, Different excerpts uh, from the interviews, uh, along with some illustrations of the people interviewed. Uh, Michelle Kennard, thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it immensely, uh, your work. Uh, She's a tremendous photographer, ladies and gentlemen. Her work is not on display in this reader, (laughs) but trust me when I tell you, She's one of the best photographers in the city of Chicago, in my <laughs> humble opinion. How about that, Michelle? Thanks, Ben. Appreciate
4: right. that.
2: Michelle Kinnar is your name? Terry Cosgrove, the man they call TC. He's going to put his big boy pants on, and he's going to come on the show when we return.
0: Well, I hope we will be rolling out in the coming days is an announcement about standing up a new Office of the Environment
1: in the mayor's office.
0: I need a new school. Oh. Oh.
1: I'm here with former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, Chief of Staff to President Obama, somebody who knows Joe Biden very well. Give us uh, your rating of his performance so far, Rahm.
2: Well, I think uh, Joe Biden brought energy. That was his first, I think, hurdle. He had to clear.
1: He brought passion uh, to this effort. And I also thought he brought a nice uh, more, it uh, was a gesture to Beto, the way he handled, obviously, what happened in El Paso. So on that level, he
2: is engaged. And I also think he did something very smart. On healthcare. he made Bernie his foil, not Elizabeth Warren, which was smart uh, in that effort, uh, in that time. I also got to say this. I thought
1: Amy, uh, Kamala and, uh, Beto all had their moments. I, I, I think the person that got hurt so far is Castro. He looked mean. He looked petty. Some people were saying on Twitter, but we oh, didn't see, see there's yeah, about. Yes, we had to like strike for 10 days. Yes. It was very, it was, a. it was very much a sacrifice, um, for our members. Our members sacrificed six days of pay. To put cla- enforceable class size limits into our collective bargaining agreement, to make sure that there's a nurse and a social worker in every school, every single day.
3: Today's Ben show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in Literature. And liberal studies. Ooh, la la. Very fancy. We're sophisticated on this show, D. We're a very learned program. Yeah. Studies learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more about these programs in (laughs) literature and liberal studies at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. That was really well done. That was beautiful man. Thanks. That was just really beautiful. Ter- That's nice of you. T- Terry
2: Cosgrove, my next guest, uh, is a scholar, young scholar who studied <laughs> literature at
1: Niles West High School. High school. Is that yeah, correct? Absolutely. I sat right next to... Uh to, oh, why am I forgetting the Supreme Court Justice name? Well, because he's, he's not a Supreme well, Court Justice. A nominee, I was going to uh, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. I That's said, correct. right mm-hmm. next to him, we studied together. Merrick
2: Garland has said
1: yeah. many times that the only way he got through Niles West was. Cheating off of Terry Kosko's,
2: he said that. He said that. He never said that.
1: You know, a actually, school. he was—he's a, a year older than I am. And when he got nominated, I went and looked through the yearbook. He literally belonged to every single club. It was okay. very, no, no. You yeah. go to like the, the the French club, the Greek club, the chess club, the. And I thought, oh my god, this guy is. Uh, well, we're uh, not going to relitigate yeah. it. But, no, no, uh, I will Please. just say this: I, uh,
2: we had a uh, it was it David Ferris came on this show, mm-hmm. who was a political science professor at Roosevelt. There's a pretty, pretty shrewd observer of the political scene. And putting aside whether Merrick Garland uh, was worthy of a Supreme Court nomination, you know, I'm sure he's a brilliant legal mind, a hardworking guy, et cetera, and so forth, it was uh, Ferris's uh, opinion that Barack Obama should have taken somebody, uh, a black woman, for instance, an elevator for that court, because that would have fired up the base. And I'm always thinking, Terry, when I talk politics with you, we talk politics obsessively, folks, Uh, Terry Cosgrove, uh, president of Personal Pack. I always feel that the Democrats aren't as strategic as they should right. be. And so just think about that. The difference that I know America I'm this no, is not no, a put no, out No, no. Yeah.
1: Listen, you and I have had this conversation and you know the problem with it, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty and and that's it. Of course now we sit back and look at it. I agree with you a thousand percent. And we didn't know that the you know the voter suppression was going to happen around uh what the Russians did in Detroit and, and in Milwaukee by suppressing the vote saying that Hillary was basically one to Put every single young black man behind jail, uh, behind bars. So, um, no, I think it would have made a difference. We're talking about 77,000 votes across three states. No, I think it would have made, made a difference. And if we knew what we we knew then, what we know now, it would yeah. be different. Yeah. But, uh, There's a song like that. I yeah. don't know if you know that.
2: Is By, it really? Yeah. If Ooh. I knew what I know now. Yeah. Come when on, man. I was younger, <laughs> I wish. I, don't quote me, but I think it was Rod Stewart who sings really? that song. Really? Okay. Yeah. No, I won't quote you. Don't uh, quote him. <laughs> no, don't quote him. You do not want to quote. You have an update for me,
3: young man? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. Here, uh, the Chicago Sun Times uh, has an article here. Uh, the, school, the teacher strike is over, and uh, thanks to the Chicago Sun Times and one Mitchell Armand Trout, we have the five makeup days that CPS is recommending. After the teachers strike, Chicago Public Schools officials on Tuesday announced five makeup days to this school year's calendar in the wake of the Chicago Teachers Union strike that claimed 11 days of classroom time. The proposed makeup days cut into students holiday breaks and tack an extra two days onto the end of the school year. I have the days here. There are five of them. So let's just go through them here real quick. Number one. (laughs) Day number one is Wednesday, November 27th. Oh, that's coming up. Uh, All right. hmm. How about the second? Number two. Okay. (laughs) Number two, Thursday, January 2nd, Uh, 2020. Happy New Year. uh, Uh, (laughs) Happy New Year, kid. (laughs) Get back in school.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Number three.
3: Our third one will be Friday, January 3rd. Happy New Year once again. uh, Going uh, back to school. Wrong week. (laughs) Yeah, wrong. That's a tough week. How about our fourth day? Number four. four. Wednesday, June 17th oh, of God. 2020. God. And finally, number, number five.
2: Thursday, June 18th. Uh, speaking for young scholars of the mediocre persuasion of which I was one in school, I feel for you kids, man. The Kids, here's the deal about uh, the teacher strike. It's a joke I had with Dennis all the time. You know, everybody, all adults were, were always felt compelled to say, you know, how a child should be in school at all right. times. They feel for the kids missing out on a very important uh, school days, etc. and so forth. And I would be going along because I'm a responsible, mature adult, Terry. And I'd be oh, saying, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, but then I would look back to my days as a kid going, oh my god, no school! Yay! <laughs> Thank you, teachers! <laughs>
3: but hey, I gotta I got to just say it right here. Tonight, 6.30 at the hideout, 1354 West Wabansia, talking all things the Chicago teacher strike. If that story ends interest due, head to The Hideout, 1354 West Wabansia 630. Stacey Davis-Gates is the guest. Maya Duke-Masova's first First Tuesday show with Ben Jarofsky. You can catch it on the Facebook page of Tickets Sell Out, at Benny J Show. Yes, very good. Well, one day we're going to have to have Terry Cosgrove yeah, at The yeah, Hideout.
2: I've
1: been hearing about it for years. <laughs> I've never <laughs> gotten an invitation. We'll I, get
2: you on there. I, I, and you know, Terry Cosgrove's I, expertise, as long-time listeners of The Ben Jarofsky Show know, is that he knows more about the struggle for reproductive rights than anybody else in the universe okay maybe not anybody else but he knows a lot and uh so when he comes on he always uh, we we take the deep dive on the issues, uh, not just in the state of Illinois, but throughout the country. And then we also do a lot of political discussion because what you may not know about Terry Cosgrove, folks, is the guy is a political geek to the nth degree. Knows
1: more about politics, mostly national politics, although he yeah. knows his local politics too. I don't know much national. It's always it's most of it's local. You got that in reverse. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. I guess it's so because yeah. yeah. state of Illinois, yeah. you like every state rep seat, every state senator seat, uh, going back into your. You're right you're right going yeah. back in history although you could probably give me a thing or two about the congressional makeup yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. uh and um but you don't get involved just so folks to know this do you or do you not get We you be getting involved in Marie newman's race
1: uh down no there? we do not get involved in any federal we're a state PAC so we are prohibited actually from getting involved in federal races so we don't endorse we don't get involved now having said that um a lot of people who are associated with personal PAC board members donors support you know, congressional candidates who are pro-choice. And and so there's people that are supporting Marie Newman, uh, Lauren Underwood, Sean Kasten, uh, Betsy Longrigan. So there are people. And as long as you're mentioning um, the congressional delegation, I know I in my notes I said we'll do this at the end, but I think it's worth pointing out at the front of the interview that um, redistricting will be taking place after the 2020 election and that General Assembly that's which is why I care so much about the Illinois General Assembly, will not only draw the 118 House districts and 59 Senate districts for the next 10 years until 2032, which will impact reproductive rights and everything else in this state, they will also draw Illinois' congressional districts based on the new census data, which we are likely to lose. The estimates are one to two congressional seats. So mm-hmm. that map will look um, extraordinarily different. And in my mind, I want that to be a progressive pro-choice congressional map as well as a pro- very pro-choice Um, state assembly map Mm at the end of it this is a conversation we've had many times It gets in the issue
2: of fair mapping this is was not on my list of things to talk about but as long as you mention it it's very important to keep hammering home this point i say this uh, i think you agree with me but we'll throw it out there and see if you do Uh, That in the abstract, the notion of a fair map in which a computer draws a map so that everybody, who cares if it's mostly Republican or Democrat, it's just however the computer draws the map is a great notion. All right. But the reality is that only one party even pays the vaguest attention to that and that'd be the democratic party and any democrat in my humble opinion terry feel free to vigorously disagree with me if you will any democrat who jumps apart the fair map crusade is a sucker because the republicans are playing hardball. Politics in Wisconsin and Michigan and North Carolina, drawing up states that are desi- drawing up districts that are designed to maximize the Republican vote and minimize the Democratic. Vote, and then when it comes to Illinois, they turn right around and go, "Oh, yeah, we Mike Madigan has too much power in the state of Illinois. We need a fair map. Come on, T,
1: put Uh, on your big boy pants." (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ben, if you insist. (laughs) No, here's my. Listen, the the I hate when people do that, and here I'm doing it. Listen, um, yeah. any one Republican or Democrat who buys into a state-by-state, quote-unquote, fair map scenario is, is fooling themselves. The only way that this can happen in an equitable way, and that's what I think people are looking for. It can't be done state-by-state. It has to be done all 50 states at the same time. So I think that's the conversation that needs to be um, had. It's not about gerrymandering it's not about Republican versus Democrat it's not about Mike Madigan or or governor or whatever of some right-wing Republican state or J.B. Pritzker, it's about what a real fair map looks like. And if you're going to talk about fair maps, the only conversation we should be having is a map that's fair in all 50 states, not cherry picking Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, New York, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what your persuasion is. So I wish the people who are promoting fair maps would talk about it as a national issue The Congress needs to do it, the Supreme Court or whatever the, the legal method is for getting it done in all. 50 states, and on top of it, it has to respect the Voting Rights Act. And that's the second piece of this, is that um, your favorite Governor, Bruce Rauner, introduced <laughs> introduced, that was slick, Terry. Inter- <laughs> introduced a uh, fair map yeah. um, bill in the General Assembly that totally disregarded the, the voting rights um, provisions, And the map that the Democrats, and again, I'm not playing partisan politics here. I'm just saying that the map that the Democrats drew in 2012 passed um, legal muster and none of the um, none of the groups that normally get involved in in uh, voting rights issues sued under that map because it was a fair map when it came. So that's my take on it. I think it's really simple. I think anything else other than talking about it as a 50-state solution on the federal level is a smokescreen, and it's not genuine. Because if you really care about fair maps, then you need to talk about it in that context, and that's state by state. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Especially considering that Republicans now control state houses and governorships in 22 states and Democrats control them in 11 or 12. I think it's 12, yeah, or 14. I so, so, so let me, wait, see, this is what I'm saying. Terry Cosgrove yeah. knows this stuff. All right, right, wait, you're saying Republicans control both houses in 22 states? Wait, both houses and the governorship ah, in 22 states, which wow. means if we just did it state by state right now, that means that 22 Republican states, 22 states would have maps that were gerrymandered by Republicans. Uh I hate the word gerrymander, but I put it in quotes and use it here. And then in um, 12 states... Democrats Dems. would, like we have in Illinois, a, a Democratic governor, In other words, there are
2: 22 okay. states where Republicans control absolutely every yes. aspect of government. The governor, right. both houses, uh, and there's only 12 states where the Democrats control it. Why do you hate the word g-
1: gerrymander? Because I think it's, uh, I, I think, because it, it gets applied in Illinois. And I, I just don't, I, if you're going to talk about it, talk about it on a, in the federal sense. It's my same objection to doing it state by state. So so do the math. Uh 34, so 16 states are split and then... The others are divided, Democrat and mm-hmm. Republican.
2: Well, this uh, it's so hypocritical with the Republicans. Scott yeah. Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, is uh, behind a lawsuit in Michigan that blows
1: up. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, so <A> <laughs> a, it's So hypocritical! It's a popularly passed referendum that yeah. the Republicans are trying to overturn or, for yeah. fair maps. Yeah, for fair maps. Yeah. yeah, and so I yeah, so there was a yeah. referendum yeah. passed yeah. by the people
2: of uh, Michigan to have right. fair maps right. and the Republicans. Are suing uh, to t- t- torpedo it because right now they have the advantage, right. uh, even though the numbers don't bear them out,
1: and yeah. so that's why I say uh, Terry. Anybody- and you never read about that in the Chicago Sun Times by the good government groups. You, you know that that you you only read about you know um, hammering Illinois yeah. so
2: yes yeah, what i'm saying every all the good government groups in Illinois uh, pretend as though only. Illinois is the only yeah. state in the union yeah, you know? yeah. well the, you know, it's only corruption in Illinois right, right. Uh, what about Michigan yeah. you know
1: and i mean i it's important for people to understand this is just not about 50 state assemblies this is about who's going to control the 435 seats in the United States Congress for the next ten years. This is really serious. So, Illinois loses, you know, loses one or two seats. Um, I don't want that to be Sean Casten or Lauren Underwood or. Or uh, Betsy laundergan or um, or anyone else, yeah. you no, know. It's
2: hardball be, political. It is, yeah. it
1: is, and the only way to solve it is to do it on the federal level. So I don't want to beat the dead horse anymore. All right, let's get down to why this is so
2: important, and particularly the issues of reproductive mm-hmm. rights. And Tara asked you this when we were talking on the phone before. You know, I think that most people who just drop in uh, on the subject of reproductive rights in Illinois are going to say, "Wait a minute." Uh, hb 40 was passed house bill 40 which was the big reproductive rights bill of 2017 17. so why is this even an issue in the state of illinois uh take us through a
1: little bit uh, uh terry the background here so people understand yeah absolutely well i let me start with the um, with on the higher thing but the supreme court's about to overturn roe v wade or it which makes no difference of overturning it, or they're just going to allow every single state restriction to be constitutional. So whether they explicitly overturn Roe v. Wade or they don't doesn't really matter because they're going to say, Georgia, you're fine, Texas, you're fine. So let me walk you through some of the state statutes or or the ideas, state statutes and ideas. Um, Last week, a Virginia candidate for the state legislature there introduced a bill, or suggested that a bill be introduced in the Virginia Assembly, which, by the way, very critical election going on in Virginia Day, but we won't talk about it right now. Well, that's a critical. I know. I, we're going to put, put it aside. Didn't I tell you but, the
2: man knows national politics? No, first, he denied no, he knows it. No, knows no about this about has Virginia- to do with state politics. Okay, fine. But in, in the this, state of Virginia, this
1: relates to everything we're talking about. It is. So, it's a battle in Virginia, You're yeah, absolutely. Because correct. the governor is Democratic for the first time in years, yeah. and well, Terry McAuliffe was, but and now the Virginia Assembly is two seats away in the House. In the Senate, from t- being taken out of Republican control, put in Democratic control, which again means that Virginia will be able to draw its map the way. So that those numbers that I gave you, the twenty-two and and, and twelve, could change could as change. of tonight. It, yeah, oh, yeah. Could, if they win, if the de- but what that is, if the is, Dems win in Virginia, if the, yeah, if the Dems win in Virginia. So there was a uh, a candidate talk about introducing a bill that require all pregnant women to wear ankle bracelets. So, they could be tracked while they're pregnant to make sure they don't go near an abortion facility. So, that is some really isn't that, yeah, isn't that, isn't that twisted I stuff. I know this, but this is where we're going because, uh, you know, Texas has a bill they're considering they would give women the death penalty the death penalty if she has an abortion in Georgia. It's life in prison, a little leaner. That's that should make. People feel good, yeah. you know, that, at, at life in prison as opposed to the death penalty. Right now, right. Wait, time out. That that was an
2: actual bill in Texas. That oh was yeah, introduced. yeah. Oh yeah, death penalty.
1: penalty. Death penalty. Yes, yes. Death penalty for any woman that has an abortion. And I want to point out when I started doing this work, thirty years ago, mm. uh, <laughs> is that there that anti choicers never dreamt of introducing a single bill that didn't have an exception for rape and incest. Now they are absolutely clear. There is no exception for rape and incest. So that's how. Far we've come, Uh, and then in Missouri last week, it was discovered that the director of the Missouri Department of Public Health had been had set up a private spreadsheet in his office to track women's periods, um, so that they could they could figure out if women were getting abortions at the wrong time, or to track because they're trying to shut down the only remaining. There's only Missouri could become the first state in the country that will have not a single abortion provider. And there is one facility that's open in St. Louis. It's called um, it's it's called Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. of the Greater St. Louis area. And the state has been trying to shut it down. So what they're trying to prove is that the, the that Planned Parenthood is playing hanky panky with the number of abortions it's doing and when they're performing them. So this director of public health decided to take it upon himself and and. Create a spreadsheet and map out the periods of every single woman based on the data they were getting from this clinic. It's absolutely outrageous. And the governor announced this morning that he wasn't going. Uh, he wasn't going to open an investigation into it because he didn't see anything wrong with it. Wait, he wasn't going to uh, open an investigation into, into the-, the director? Yeah, for wow. doing this, like every you know everyone in the state he's is going up- to
2: light that director. Yeah, 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 Just
1: say continue doing it. You know, we're not going to investigate. So he it. would get information if if the bill passes, yeah. they would obtain. it. No, he's doing it. Now there's no there's no legislation involved. They're trying to they're, what they're trying to do is shut down the Planned Parenthood. So they've come up with all these phony. Reasons to, and they can't seem to get it done. Like they're requiring Rachel Maddow has done actually great work on this, uh, on requiring second ultrasounds, even though a woman is taking a pill that's safer than an Advil and a Tylenol. I might add, the abortion bill is safer than an Advil or Tylenol. Requiring uh, two ultrasounds uh, and two uh, exams before the woman can get an abortion. So they're they're. Loading in all these requirements and all these regulations and then accusing the Planned Parenthood of violating, even though they're going along with them, and they're not even medically indicated and they're medically offensive. And so this is just another way to intimidate them and to try to find some little piece of the law that they're violating and uh, so that they can shut them down. Mm-hmm. So it's a complete they're dragging them into court and into hearings like every single week with a new allegation, more questions that you know, just to wear them down and shut them down. And already, as you know, Ben, because you were at our annual luncheon, that Hope Clinic in Granite City, Illinois, Mm -hmm. over 50% of their patients now are from Missouri and Kentucky because of the owner's restrictions. And imagine a woman driving 8, 10, 12 hours from the western end of Missouri to Granite City, Illinois Mm -hmm. to take a pill that's safer than an Advil or a Tylenol. That's where we are, folks. And why Illinois is so important and why it's critical that people be involved in this 2020 election and focus. I know everyone wants to focus on, you know, the the orange one and the White House and the congressional races, but we really need to pay attention to what's going on in the in the state and with our state representatives and senators because um, they they. It's not just about women in Illinois now. It's about the the um, the abortion providers in Chicago are reporting close to fifty percent of their patients are from Indiana now. So we we are here for millions and millions of women in the Midwest between the two coasts. And so we have a greater responsibility than we've ever had. And and while I'm on the subject of bad laws, um, we have one more. Um, Go ahead. HB40 got rid of the restriction on Medicaid funding for uh, low-income women, as well as getting rid of the trigger language that said the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned, abortion would become illegal in Illinois. Um, and then the Reproductive Health Act, which passed just a few months ago, got rid of all the enjoined laws from ni- from the 1970s that said a married woman needed her husband's written consent, that uh, birth control and IVF would basically be illegal, 24-hour waiting periods, misinformed consent. There was a whole litany of just laws that were enjoined by the ACLU. Uh, in a time when no one ever thought Roe v. Wade would be overturned. So they went into court and in two seconds, a federal judge would enjoin them. They were still on the statutes, but they were enjoined. And our fear was when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Peter Breen or some other right winger would go into court and say, well, Roe's no longer standing. We wanna to move to lift all these injunctions. So all these horrible restrictions would have gone into effect had we not passed the Reproductive Health Act. Um, so now we're at trying to repeal one of the worst laws in the country, which is we require young women under the age of eighteen to get uh, to notify their parents they're having an abortion. And on the face of it, it sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Except when you consider that there are a small number of young women whose health and lives are at risk and seventy over seventy percent of, of young women already involve a parent or an adult family member, but there's this there's this minority number of women who can't tell their parents because number one, they don't live with them. Number two, there's violence, there's alcoholism. They saw their older sister thrown out of the house when she got pregnant. And it is so it's, it's creating a very, very dangerous, unhealthy situation for these young women. And this law went into effect six years ago, it was passed in 95, but it was enjoined until six years ago. And there was never a problem before this law. Um, was passed, and so it's simply it has it serves no purpose other than to harass young women, um, frighten them, and all the um, nurses and counselors and social workers and doctors that I've spoken to and other people have spoken to us says the most traumatizing part of of getting an abortion is. The parental notice, the first dangerous parental notice piece, and it's not the actual medical procedure. Now, when you say pass in 1995 and enjoined, what does uh, that mean? That means that it, it passed in 1995, the ACLU went to court and got it enjoined, and then the injunction was lifted in uh, six years ago. I hope I have my math right. Someone Injunction will... lifted by a judge? Yeah, by the Illinois Supreme Court. Yeah. So they ruled against the injunction? Yeah, so, uh, yes. And so they exposed uh, the, the yeah. citizens so of then the Illinois it went. Citizens. It went into effect, and uh, then teenagers had to get there, and and the provision of the law, which is is I, I hate to call it a fraud because it um, it it's it's one outlet outlet that is shameful that allows some teenagers to get around the parental notice thing, which is they can go to court and ask for a waiver. Mm. So a young woman has to find her way to the daily Center. She had the ACLU has set up a judicial bypass project, um, which is on their website for anyone listening and wants to know more about it and wants to either volunteer or, or a young woman out there who's listening, make sure all your friends know about it if, it, if, if needed. And um, it allows the teenager to go to court and in front of a judge, ask for the bypass, the, The notice to be waived uh, because she's proved that she's mature enough to um, uh, to have to make the decision to have an abortion in the insanity, the, the inherent insanity about all of this is by saying no to her. You're saying you're not mature enough to make the decision to have an abortion. But guess what? You're mature enough to be a parent. Have a good life. (laughs) I mean, it's so insane. The the ridiculousness of it, the greatest responsibility in the world is parenthood. Yes, You you know, I know the most prepared people I know. I mean, and to force a young woman who falls to her knees in a judge's chamber crying and say, I can't take care of myself. Please don't me. Please don't force me. To have a baby. And we're gonna tell her, oh no, no. We're no, sure, go ahead with it. We that doesn't mean anything to us. This is so insane. And it kills me that there are some state representatives and senators who should know better who have have totally misunderstood the you know the politics of this. There is there's somehow there's this mythical group of anti-choice people out there that if you voted for the RHA and you voted to um, for the HB40, and now if you just throw this little crumb of parental notice and either don't vote for it, they're gonna say, oh, we love you and we're gonna vote for you, when in fact they've never voted for any pro-choice candidate. They never will in all of their campaign literature. I see every piece of mail that the anti-choicers send out, they have one sentence in it that they use, and. They're using it against the RHA now, which had nothing to do with either. They said, fill in the blank candidate, wants to make abort- does won't outlaw abortion up until the moment of birth and thinks that t- teenagers shouldn't tell their parents that they're having an abortion. That is the sentence that appears in every campaign commercial, every piece of mail. And it doesn't matter whether you vote for or against or present on repeal of parental notes, you're going to get the same piece of mail yeah. at election time. Yeah. So you're buying nothing except losing pro-choice support of the people who don't think you're
2: well. This genuine. This this reminds me of a line I think uh, Buditaj Mayor Pete made in the debate. Uh, he's kind of reversed himself on this line, but uh, this was a debate, uh, that one of the Democratic debates uh, in the summer. I've watched every de- Democratic debate, yeah. and uh, Budetic made a very compelling point. Uh, he said that regardless of what positions we take in this campaign on all the issues of the day, Donald Trump is going to label us as the second coming of AOC. So, you might as well stand totally. up for what you He's believe. Totally in. Right. He's right. totally right. He's yeah, totally right.
1: But it's mythical. In this instance, though, it's mythical to think that there's this group of, of right wingers out there who, ab- who are obsessed enough about abortion to care, number one so that they, they, they live and breathe this stuff, that without you taking the position of wanting to outlaw all abortions for all women under all circumstances for all time, because that's what they want, mm-hmm. that, that somehow they're going to give you a pass and vote for you just because you vote present or you vote no on parental notice. like They're not going to vote for the right-wing Republican who's running against a Democrat. That's really what it comes down well, to. Well, I think what, 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 yeah. what we're seeing here, yeah. and I'm going to put this and out And I here. agree with him, though. Yeah. You agree with uh, yeah. Buditich? Oh, well, yeah. that
2: was Buditage then. I don't think he's singing
1: that same song now, but whatever. Let's just put Yeah, but, but it's true. It, I, it's know, absolutely know, whether true. Whether he's right or wrong, his original statement is true. Absolutely. Donald Trump is going to—it doesn't matter if it's if it's Biden or it's Elizabeth Warren. Every, and I'm not taking a position on the— presidential You know that. Yes. You know that. That's the ground rule. That's the ground rule. I refuse (laughs) to say anything bad about anyone. Anyone. Now. uh, (laughs) 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 What's your line about the flea? Uh, Yeah. 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 you go for the flea. A lobotomized flea. But there is see here's
2: I'm going to say one of my problems with Democrats yeah. and part of it has to do with the maps because right. we, we, it all comes back to those maps <laughs> when you talk to legislative because what what uh, effectively the Democrats are doing they're trying to run in districts that were designed to maximize the the limited number of Republicans in a state so that even a like even in a state like Michigan, where Democrats outweigh number uh, Republicans, if you draw the maps in such a way, you'll have Democratic uh, candidates running in districts where there's a very close to majority of Republicans. And so as a result, they're very cautious and very concerned about going too far and being viewed as like a, a Ben type of Democrat. And so right. so there's like an issue of parental notification is one of those issues. If folks don't even have strong opinions on abortion as of uh, as a principal concept, the notion that a child can get an abortion and without a parent's uh, permission, but needs a parent permission to get a tattoo, yeah. which is something online they throw out, that strikes voters weren't really. You know, well, you know that
1: makes. Sense. But here's here's what's wrong with your thinking on Go this. Go ahead. Oh, I hate to. Yeah, no, no. I it, it, listen. Yeah. You, you, we're not talking about an election that has two candidates that have a hair difference on their positions. You're talking about a Republican who wants to ban abortion in cases of rape and incest. You're talking about, a, and I'm just using this as an example. I'm bipartisan, so it could be reversed, but it just doesn't happen to be in this (laughs) sample. In this universe. Yes. So you have this right-wing Republican who wants to ban abortion in cases of rape and incest, wants to declare that life begins at conception That will outlaw almost all the... Normal or not normal the the most commonly used forms of birth control, the IUD and the pill, and then over here you have a Democrat that says, "I think abortion should remain safe and legal between a woman or a doctor, not politicians that's what people are voting on. they're not voting on parental notice that that people don't cast their vote on that they're casting it on the broader issue of you have this guy. Most cases, it's a man, but there are women. Jeannie Ives, your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> you had to do that. You had to go there. <laughs> no, no. Jeannie, Jeannie Ives, yeah, my good friend. So yeah. let's take Jeannie Ives and Sean Caston. Okay. This is a perfect example. So you have Jeannie Je- Ives. Wait, just crazy so we remember Jeannie Ives,
2: Jeannie yeah. Ives, who uh, yeah. was this former state rep uh, from DuPage County yeah. and ran against Governor Ronald because apparently he wasn't conservative enough uh, in the in the Republican primary right. of 2018.
1: Go yeah. ahead. So you have Jeannie. Jeannie Ives who wants to amend the United States Constitution to outlaw abortions under all, any and all circumstances. So it doesn't matter if a woman will drop dead or health is at risk, rape, incest, anything. That's what that's Gene what Ives wants. You have Sean Caston, on the other hand, who believes that it should be a private decision between a woman or a doctor and her doctor, and there shouldn't be all these onerous restrictions that are designed to do nothing but intimidate women and keep them from getting... The medical care they deserve. There isn't a single voter in that district that's not going to vote based on Genie's I's position and Sean Caston's position. And no, there, there's this mythical group of voters which mm-hmm. is that are going to sit there and say, "Well, she's this and he's this," and so 24-hour waiting periods or a doctor has to lie to a woman about um, whether she'll get breast cancer, or she'll get an abortion, or this one thinks that a teenager that's been raped by her father shouldn't have to tell her parents that she's getting an abortion no one's thinking you know going to your on the the average voter is voting on the the universal position of these two candidates and that's why i talk about the phantom voter that somehow people imagine exists in the middle there um the middle's called roadkill politically either you're on this side and you believe abortions are private medical decision between a woman or doctor and that every woman deserves to have access to that healthcare or you want it outlawed completely. Those, That's the environment we're in on
2: the two positions. All
1: right. Now, listen, I
2: happen to be a big believer yeah. uh, that parental notification uh, is absurd in this uh, situation. And uh, so what I don't understand, this is what I was sort of getting at earlier. Why does it still exist in the state of Illinois, uh, even in the aftermath of HB 40, which is such a controversial uh, uh, reproductive rights bill? uh, Well, it was. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it was it was very controversial the the way it played out. Uh, Well, Governor Rauner
1: made it controversial. We didn't. Okay, I didn't say you did. Okay, Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Did not say
1: you made it controversial, but it was a controversial uh, bill. I was uh,
2: an angel in the whole Yes, process. you were. Angel Terry. Uh, don't
1: call me angel. Oh, God. I was just singing that song. It went through my head.
2: You know? When you said angel, just popped in. I could yeah. not resist. Yeah. I can't help singing some bursting in the song, Terry. Uh, so anyway,
1: so HP4, yeah, HP 40. Yeah, HP 40. I burst in the song. Just. I know. I mean, that's the gayest thing I've ever seen in my life.
2: Uh, bursting just, in a song. I was just singing the other song. Uh, what was the song? Oh, what you see is what you get. You know that song from back in your childhood, no? What you see is what you get.
1: I I believe it, but... (laughs) What you see (laughs) is what
2: you get. Listen to me now. like that. (laughs) Some people are made of plastic. Some people are made of wood. You don't know that song from back in the day? Uh, The dramatics. Anyway, focus, Ben, focus. So what I don't understand is why uh, do we still have this parental notification monstrosity in the state of Illinois if we pay past HB 40. Because
1: it had HB 40 had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So there's two pieces. HB 40, the Reproductive Health Act. The HB 40 just did two things. Well, actually three. It got rid of the prohibition on Medicaid funding for low-income women. There was another law that said that state employees couldn't get abortion care under their health insurance. That went away and got rid of the trigger law. It mentioned nothing about parental notice. And the Reproductive Health Act repealed all of those laws from 1977 but did not repeal the um, the parental notice of abortion act we made the decision to do that as a separate uh, as a separate bill
2: I see it. Yeah. Well, and and it was yeah. the decision to do that because there were so many middle road Democrats I'm scared Maybe, to run on this is that what no the-
1: well we were trying well understand what was going on we were you know um what's Kavanaugh just got appointed to the court. We're mm-hmm. looking at this, at Roe v. Wade being overturned and we decided getting rid of those laws that were currently enjoined was absolutely critical and we wanted to focus on that first and then considering parental notice was an active bill, we would treat that separately and and be able to educate people separately like I'm doing right now on it. Whereas that, that was an easy, it was an easy argument to make about the RHA that all this bill does is repeal all of those uh, restrictions and 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 says that uh, that a woman is able to make this autonomous decision for herself. So we want to enshrine that in law. So when Roe was overturned. Um, Illinois women would be protected because we specifically stated that we were repealing all of that, and specifically stated that abortion should remain safe and legal in Illinois, regardless of okay. what the Supreme Court does. All right. Now. so we didn't want to we we didn't want to mix stuff up too much. That was the thinking. Uh, it and- wasn't my, you know, it was a group of us that. Don't blame decision. Terry. No, don't blame me. Yeah. Uh, that was the bottom <laughs> yeah. line on that one. It wasn't mine. Uh, so a parental notification, when will this be coming for a vote? Uh, we, we would like it to come for a vote next week in veto session. We're working on the roll call right now. And there's a Senate bill and there's a House bill. And I would encourage everyone here... In addition to going to the Personal Pack website um, to check us out, but um, to call your state representative and state senator, do you have a bill number today? Um, I don't have it with me, but wait, I'm going to go go to our website and mm-hmm. at the top. There's a Personal link PAC. that says PersonalPack.org, um, and I know everyone's so proud of me. I didn't say www.personalpack.org, um, mm-hmm. but go to the uh, contact your legislator. We have this great click-to-call uh, feature now, the bill numbers will come up, a picture and the phone number and email in the Twitter account of your state rep and state center. I did it this morning just to check it out, make sure it was working. And all you have to do is all the information's there. Okay. You can send an email, you can call. I would encourage everyone to pick up the phone and call. All you have to do is leave a message. Generically, I'm calling. Give your address so they know you're a constituent. It's really important because legislators only care about people that you know live and vote in their district and say <laughs> it's that it's, sounds so cool cr- cold no, the way you said not. it but it's true it's yes true. Yeah, it's yeah. true i mean yeah. well, I would
2: take only out and say primarily
1: how about that no no uh, only. I mean, okay yeah, i mean kelly <laughs> cassie gets hundreds of phone calls from people in southern illinois saying she wants to take away their guns do you think she cares yeah it's a valid point unless yeah, yeah you yeah. valid point i mean uh know, is she the sponsor of this bill no, she's not, but okay. she's a co-sponsor, I believe. I got The you. sponsor in the House is uh, State Representative Chris Welch. Mm, wonderful. Chris, and yeah. then in the Senate, it's uh, State Senator LG Sims. Okay. Who's both of them great spokespeople on the bill and wonderful pro-choice leaders. and. Chris Welch was in the studio about a month ago. Was he really? Yes, he was. Uh,
2: He was here talking about his His bill that would uh, allow uh, amateur athletes to
1: uh, sign with agents, et cetera, and so forth. Passed the house with 60 votes on the head. And it did? Oh, yep. I missed that. Yep. Is yep. it in the, did it pass the Senate? I believe Look, I'm asking
2: him yep. about this bill. He, yeah, this I don't know. Guy what knows does everything. this have to do about Yeah, yeah, Ben, yeah. focus, Ben, focus. Yeah, yeah. Focus, exactly. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. Now, all right, help people out here. They need. Uh, so call, everyone needs to call your state. Now, does this need it? a super majority
1: no. or just a basic, because yeah. it won't take place, it, it's not going to be uh, right. enacted immediately. Right, right. Got it. So okay. the, the effective date will determine that it needs 60 votes and. 30 votes in the Senate, and, you know, the only thing I didn't mention, and and this is, uh, you know, I always say that uh, abortion is the canary in the coal mine, and it's the fundraising engine for the right-wingers, but I think it's really important, especially for younger people listening, is that what the right-wing really wants to go after is birth control, and and there was a demonstration out in Naperville two weeks ago at an uh, IVF clinic because they were claiming that they were Killing babies there because the fertilized eggs that weren't being used were, and oh yeah, it was in Newsweek. Actually, yeah. Newsweek did a whole article on the yeah. on the protest at a Naperville IVF clinic. So it's important for your listeners to understand that the, this movement they're also it they're also very involved in the anti-vaccine movement too, claiming that uh, that fetal tissue is being used in vaccines, even though we know it isn't true. But there, you know, the truth. And the facts and honesty don't matter to these people in the same way that they lie about, you know, someone wanting to support abortion up until the moment of birth. It's a total lie, but they use it because they think it's going to get them some political ground, and it doesn't.
2: All right. Uh, so this is the uh, ongoing debate that's in the uh, the legislature, the General Assembly. Uh, generally when Terry's we're running on up the clock here so I'll hold off for the next time you're on the show to break down some of the key legislative battles the districts the upcoming election mm-hmm. some of the We'd districts that we should follow
1: uh, where there's going to be some interesting primaries yeah, interesting primaries yeah. just give us a uh, uh, just a oh, tease oh a just tease. a tease I would love to let me return to my hometown uh-huh. in Morton Grove uh, State Representative uh, Kalish who um, told everyone he uh, took Lou Lang's place? So that Skokie, Lincolnwood, the 50th Ward of Chicago, and uh, and Morton Grove mm-hmm. and parts of Morton Grove, and told everyone that he was voting for the Reproductive Health Act, and he turned around and voted present. And uh, he also, oh, I don't know, he sits on the committee to decide. Um, What the uh, what the cost of insulin will be? You know, the bill to cap the monthly cost of insulin at 100 hours, as opposed to 300 or 500 or 800, and um, he is telling people that he um, he's not sure where he stands on the bill, and it just so happens that Thursday night, Friday morning, he took a three thousand dollar check from Big Pharma, so. Uh, yeah, he's uh, what a guy. You know? <laughs> and then he, and then he, uh, he was carrying a bill that would uh, not allow uh, conceal and carry in houses of worship, temples, mosques, churches. And when the NRA came to him and said they didn't like the bill, guess what? He, he buried it. Never called it for a vote. So that race is really important. That's in the Skokie area, Morton Grove, 50th Ward, um, and Denise. Uh, Wang Stoneback is the Democratic challenger to him. It's a Democratic primary. This guy um, uh, wrote checks to Scott Walker, Kalish wrote checks to Scott Walker and to Peter Roskam and organized uh, a group of people um, to support John McCain. So he's against Barack Obama. So Democrats in that district, 16th House District, need to, uh, need to make sure that they become informed, get involved with Denise's campaign. And make sure that State Representative Kalish is given the door. He is he's not even a Democrat. I don't even call him a progressive Democrat. He's a he's a Republican in sheep's clothing. So he's to team. go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. there'll be others. You know, yeah. There'll be other races. But cool. that's the big one right now and in terms of the Democratic primary, Right. I, yeah, I was just walking okay. down
2: the street in West Riders Park, and I saw one of Denise's. Signs. Oh, good, so it was On my top of my yeah, mind, yeah, yeah. All right, Terry Cosgrove, personal pack—that's personal, P-E-R-S-O-N-A-L.
1: That kind of personal pack, yeah. pac. PAC, P-A-C org, dot org. dot Go to it. Very sign good. up. Get get on our email list. I will keep you updated on things uh, and. All right, very good, uh, Terry Cosworth, my guest. Thank you so much. Uh, Michelle Kinnar
2: was here earlier, and Maya Dukmasova was here at 1.30, and uh, will be with me at the Hideout tonight, six thirty for our show where we interview Stacy Davis Gates from the Chicago Teachers Union. So that'll be a lot of fun. And before tonight.
3: that show, Ben will now. Take his nap. <laughs> Listen, I'm a big fan of naps. I love don't. naps. Leave, leave naps uh, alone, Dennis.
2: N- yeah, there's no... Yeah, yeah, yeah man. A- thank you, leave ben, t- Yeah, leave, leave me ben alone, alone, man. I mean. uh, they'll probably take the nap in the car ride over. Because yeah, what I, people don't know is that uh, when, when I'm with Dennis, cars, De-
1: yeah. Dennis drives my car. Not really? Yeah, because yeah. he likes to drive. Well, what it's I've noticed driver, today, by Dennis by is always wearing the hat. You're not. Now, you have the hat on. Yeah, I I'm switching it up. What's going I'm like... You're <laughs> in your head Terry no Ooh. Uh,
2: So, and the doctor will be making an appearance at the hideout tonight. He'll be signing autographs and telling jokes and all those kinds of things. Signing autographs. But anyway, so uh, we're going to shut this show down so we can get it on the road, uh, uh, upload it, and you can start downloading it, and then we can head over to the hideout. So I want to thank Terry, Michelle, and Maya for doing a great job uh, with the show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Terry Cosgrove can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Light. Dennis. (laughs) Dennis. Keep yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
3: Only Ben calls me white lightning. Hey, remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, Chicago.Suntimes.com. Come on, Terry. I'm talking. Chicago.Suntimes.com, ChicagoReader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Live streamers. Wait, downloaders. You know we live stream this program. I'll get it right. That's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, one until three PM Central Time and way to go. Us. We've gone four days in a row without any glitches. It's awesome. Oh, Ben's fixing our clock. Yeah. That's good. Okay, well, we're still on here. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow, everybody.